Have you signed up for the Blue Wire newsletter yet? Well, now is the perfect time. If you sign up, you can win prizes every month. I'm talking prizes like gift cards, free merch, and cold, hard cash. In celebration of American Prodigy's third season, you can win some sick Blue Wire merch. Sign up today and immediately be entered to win. All you have to do is click the link in the description box below for more information. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Irish Breakdown. It is another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. It's Friday. It's a free-for-all mailbag. It's all of the above. Mm-hmm. My favorite day of the week, Brian, and I'd, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to tell anybody, anybody that wants to listen, it's my favorite day of the week. And so we're going to jump right in, Brian, unless you've got something else you want to cover no, before we I'm get ready going. to go, man. I'm ready to answer questions. Yes. I thought I had so much fun doing the Wednesday mailbag. It's like... Kind of made me think back to the summer when we pretty much like did mailbags like almost every day. <laughs> I know, right? Like it just was fun. And I thought there was great questions on Wednesday. And I was like, man, I hope we didn't use up all of our good questions this week <laughs> on Wednesday. And then we don't have any for uh, for Friday. But I have faith. I have faith in my brothers and sisters in the I- Irish Breakdown family. Absolutely. That they're going to that they're going to come correct today. So I'm excited about it. So I'm ready to. Absolutely. So just a quick reminder, uh, we will hit more team stuff in the first hour. And then there are your recruiting questions. If you've got specific recruiting questions, hold off on those until the second hour when Ryan is in here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for obvious reasons. So I just want to throw that out there, a little caveat, but uh, Q Kibbs in the queue. I'm sorry. I can't imagine. It it kills me how often people talk about the clothes that i wear the hats that i wear or don't wear my (laughs) facial hair like i mean i have hair and every now and then i like to not have a hat on but apparently we're not going to get any good questions because um (laughs) i just went down to the bottom with my hair so uh yeah yeah. they are holy i like this i like this And no, this is not the first show I've gone without a hat. It's just not often. But I just felt like you know what? It's you know, okay. Going without a hat today. So who's the new guy? Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so now that we've 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 gotten past my yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> now that we've gotten past my uh, decisions for uh, articles of clothing today and <laughs> my facial hair and. It's when great. I get new glasses here soon, it's gonna some people, people are gonna head, lose their mind. Like this, the end of uh, what was that scene? The Kingsman, right? Just when everybody's like head started exploding. Yeah, right? that's like exactly. That's, yep, yeah, yep. just be prepared for it because yep. it's gonna happen. You know. Yep. Yep. So let's uh, get rolling, man. We can do that. Q Kibbs in the queue here, right off the bat. He says, "Might be a dumb question." I was told as a teacher there are no dumb questions. That's just a total lie. But I'll disagree with that. That's a total lie. Yeah, yeah. That's. There are dumb questions, but this is not one of them. What exactly uh, does closing on a recruit entail? Keep doing what you've been doing, or is there another layer? It depends. I mean, th- this is the thing is there's never one thing. The The best closers in college football are the ones that can really read young men and their families. And for exactly. some kids, it's going to be the close is going to be, I got to get mom and dad on my side because at the end of the day, Mom and dad are going to be the ones who are going to push this decision, right? Uh, Man, the head head coach is really big into 
you know, this kid's gonna is really influenced by the head coach. Sometimes it's, it's uncle or like a your right. Your so trainer one, or whatever that is true of every kid is you've got to find out who the who right. who the decision influencers are right. in his family. Like yep. that's number one, and and really make sure the the that that you're working on those on those people. And then after that, it's about and I think for Notre Dame, it's a unique close because Notre Dame has always prided itself on, hey, look, if we're going to get a kid here, we're going to get a kid here under the proper pretenses. We're not going to we're not going to tell him it's one thing and then it gets here and it's a completely different universe and right. we're going to be honest with a kid. But then it's about, you know, finding out what are the important things to him, right? Is it is it playing time? Is it this? Is this that? And then being able to kind of tailor your message to 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 yep. to him. Now again, this tailoring message doesn't mean you you're dishonest, you're lying. But for example, I'll give you a story, right? I remember talking to Liam Eikenberg when he was coming out of high school. He had committed to Notre Dame. Urban Meyer wasn't happy about that. He want, he really wanted Liam Eikenberg. And, and Urban Meyer was the primary person recruiting Liam Eikenberg. So he called, he kept calling him up. Hey, look, you're going to come in. You're going to start at guard for us as a true freshman. He kept telling him all these kind of things. And, and I remember Liam saying, he was like, he thinks that's going to work. But like, I don't want to, I don't think I'm ready to start as a true freshman. Like, like that's not really knowing what's going to influence that player. Right. So you're, you're, you're giving a message. That's not going to really, it's not uh, resonating. With right. Them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's about finding out what's going to resonate, what matters to the kid, what questions, especially for Notre Dame, what, what are the hangups? What are the things? And this is to me a big one for the close. You know, obviously it's about, you know, you have to have a connection and a relationship and all that. But part of that has to be, what are the things keeping him from being here? Well, this team has this, or this school has this, or he's concerned about that, or this school has convinced him he can't handle it academically. Right. That happens a lot with kids that Notre Dame doesn't get. Other schools will convince them that they can handle it academically in Notre Dame, which I find disgusting, but it's just a fact, right? Right. So it's about it's, it's about, the easiest way to recruit against Notre Dame, though. Correct, right? That and it's the just weather. disgusting to do it yeah. that way to convince oh, a young person that you're not good enough to go succeed, yeah. but come here. Yeah, right. You know, right, like, right. It just, you're not it's, smart it's enough. Come, come to us. That definitely happens a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's just about finding those things and being able to, to to overcome those obstacles. Right. The obstacles to getting Nolan Ziegler to Notre Dame was simply whether or not you were or were not going to offer him a scholarship. <laughs> that was the obstacle, right? If you right. offered him a scholarship, he was coming, right? Right. You saw his basement. Uh, I mean, there was no way he rare. wasn't coming to that's Notre Dame. That's rare, right? Grandparents play. Right. I mean, he had, his family was like a Notre Dame family, right? It's a right. legacy recruit. Most kids aren't that way. Most kids it's hey, you've got to overcome this. I don't want to go this far away from home. Uh, I have a girlfriend here. Um, I'm not sure if I can fit that system. I, you know, I want this. I want I've never that. Seen, I'm on, no, I mean, you know, whatever. All that stuff, yeah. right? And and it's about it's about making them feel more comfortable with those things and it's not about lying to them but it, 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 it sometimes there's a little bit of gamesmanship you know if a kid's really worried about the snow you know maybe you don't bring him in in february i mean <laughs> till, wait till the blue gold game in april where yeah it's right. still gonna be cold but not snow on the ground most likely right. cold <laughs> right all right uh, i shouldn't say that because knock on wood that means you know we're gonna have snow in late April. We've had dude, snow in May in, in South Bend before. Dude, I mean, baseball yeah. starts in two weeks. Okay, so yeah. if the snow can leave at any point, okay, yeah. just putting it out there. If you got one move, it'll work with some kids, but your your success rate isn't gonna be high. Yeah. The the thing that I think has made Marcus Freeman such a good recruiter, for example, was he's a real genuine dude who gets to know kids on a personal level, right? Like 
I think those are the those are the effect of recruiters. And it's like, but when you get to know a kid on a personal level, you know what really matters to him. You know what the things are going to influence him, the people that are going to influence him. So if you're recruiting Tyson Ford, you you know if we don't get Mama on our side, we got no chance. Hundred percent. Yes, that's right? a great example. Right. Great example. And and so make sure that the mama's happy, right? And then we'll have a chance to get him. But then right. also make sure that Tyson's happy. Absolutely. Right. Because it's not just about, you know, maybe Tyson's mom could have influenced him to come here. But if Tyson wasn't as on board as mama was, he was going to be miserable when he got here. He's going to end up leaving. Right. So you got to make sure that you're being able to, to do that. But what are the things that are going to keep Tyson Ford happy or make Tyson Ford want to come is going to be different than what's going to make Josh Burnham or Jalen Sneed or Benjamin Morrison. Right. Right. And the best recruiters can figure out how can we connect with this kid? How can we answer his questions? How can we make him feel more comfortable with with making this tough decision because picking their name is often not the easy decision sure it's not the decision most people around you are going to try to get you to make it's not the decision a lot of your peers are going to push you to make unless you are you know from a catholic school or you know from this area and even then it's like vince you and i both know there's a lot of non-notre dame fans in this area tons which is kind of crazy um i understand it now but I didn't understand it when I first moved in, in into the area. But, um, you know, that, that to me is about closing and it's just about being able to answer all those questions and it's the relationship and it's just knowing what buttons to push to get him to say yes. That's really what it boils down to. And yep. closing also entails once you get a commitment, making sure that that kid doesn't take a back seat. Exactly. You got to stay. And, you right. got to continue to recruit. Closing them. doesn't really happen until signing day. Yeah, exactly right. You, I mean, once you get a kid committed, you've got to keep because we've seen multiple times where guys just get put on the back burner after they commit. And especially when you get those early commitments and you, you're talking like a year away and they're just kind of forgotten about. Well, he's committed. We don't got to worry about him. But yeah, you do. You still yeah, got to show like some Devin love, Moore, man. Right. Yeah. Like Devin Moore. I mean, that, right. that's one. Uh, you know, you had him committed for a long time. You had. C.J. Williams committed for four or five months. I mean, Devin Moore even longer, I believe, you know, like about a month longer. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, you, you've got to close. I mean, there, if we went back and looked at some of the players that Notre Dame lost in the first four or five years of Brian Kelly's tenure, you'd be like, man, what would have been like if they could have got that guy or the kids that they were the number two option for? You know, I mean, you could have had – you know, very early on in, in Brian Kelly's tenure, you know, I mean, you could have had a starting, a starting, um, you know, cornerback tandem of, of Kavari Russell and Ronald Darby. Yeah. You know, imagine, imagine what that would have looked like. You know what I mean? Like imagine what, what that duo would have been. And, but and because he was committed, Ronald Darby was committed in the 2011 class. And then they just stopped paying attention to him. They stopped really focusing on him. They stopped, you know, they stopped really, um, you know, really saying, "Hey, look, you're you're a you're a priority for us." They just they just stopped. You know, uh, what was it, Eric Reed? No, not Eric Reed. I always forget his. Uh, I get the two Reed brothers mixed up. But you know, you look at things like, you know, Notre Dame not being able to close on on. Uh, I, I want to say Jordan Reed. I, why am I drawing a blank here? I can't believe I'm uh, Justin Reed. Right? Sorry, Justin Reed. You know, but you think about some of the Paulson Adebo. Right, just some of the guys that Notre Dame wasn't able to close on that they had committed. Right, Reed they didn't have committed. He obviously went obviously somewhere else. But like the point being that you were finished number two on a lot of guys that were really good players, and you and you and you lost some guys that you had committed to you at some point in time. You often wonder like what would it have been like if they could have if they could have closed the deal on that. 
and that's just kind of the thing that gets you a little fired up. Justin Reed, Justin Reed. Yep. But you know, you you you've it just kind of that's the thing for me is is you got to be a great closer to be a great recruiter. But how you do it's going to be different from every kid. The one thing that has to be consistent is it's got it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. work. Yeah. It's and you have to be invested. Like you you have to be emotionally invested in order to be a good recruiter. You mm-hmm. you just do. And it makes it harder well, when you lose guys, but it makes you work harder too. Some guys can get away with that. Some guys are really good, you know, at faking it. Yeah. Salesman. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and you know, but but most to your point, I'm just kind of saying that kind of to be funny, but yeah. For the most part, your point is accurate. Right. I, I feel like I feel like I can uh, get my BS detector out and I'm going to know whether a recruiter is, is being honest with my kid and genuine and all that. You know what I mean? But I guess we'll see. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here we go. Next one from John A1. Do you expect Clarence Lewis to be able to hold off Ryan Barnes? And then he kind of has a follow-up. If Ryan Barnes wins the job, will the defense shift to more of a left cornerback, right cornerback uh, versus the field and boundary? Yeah, and I think the thought being there is because you'd have two six three guys, right? You know, I mean, you have two really tall guys um, in Cam Hart I, and Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see them really this offseason focus on going away from that. And I and the reason I say it's more for the twenty twenty two season because so going away from field boundary. Yeah, okay. yeah, but a buddy of mine the other day was talking to me, and you know, we were having a conversation about nose tackles and how he's concerned that Notre Dame doesn't have a big nose tackle in this roster. I said, well, let me ask you a question. We're the five best offenses Notre Dame's going to face this year. And we went through it, and he went through the – you know, he's one of those guys that's got to pull up the schedule and go through every school. And and we came down to some version of, you know, USC, Ohio State, Clemson, Boston College, and BYU – or North Carolina and, and Boston College. It's the five best offenses they're going to face this year. 
And I said, how many of those teams do you think a big nose tackle is going to help you against? How many of those teams do you look at and say, gee, I wish we had Lewis Nix? Maybe Boston College. Maybe. But the rest of them, it's like a 320-pound nose tackle is not going to help you in that game. They're not trying to run power football. They're just not. And so that's the thing is like you've got to look at anything you've got to look at in context. And so when I look at the corner tandem to to John's point to question, I would like I would hope that they would go away from field boundary because you don't want to be getting stuck in the opener, especially I mean, just the first game of the year. You don't want to be getting stuck in situations against Ohio State where you're trying to flip sides of the field at corner and safety. You you just don't want to be there. I mean, we saw that in the in the bowl game. They had a hard time handling Ohio, Oklahoma State's tempo. Notre Dame was just not prepared for that because there's so much field boundary, which I understand. I mean, against last year's schedule in the regular season, it made more sense to be field boundary. I mean, there's advantages to that against Purdue. There's advantages to that against Wisconsin. There's advantages to that, you know, against some of the better Cincinnati, right? And, and so – this schedule's different. So to your point, I hope that they go away from the field boundary, no matter who starts. But I think especially if you get those two tall guys, there's more merit to it. Do I expect Clarence Lewis to be able to hold off Ron Barnes? I don't know. Honestly, John, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of cheat a little bit and say, I really don't know. I don't know what work Ryan Barnes has put in this offseason. I'll say this. I saw Notre Dame the other say day. He looked real good in that one. I know you're going to bring yeah. up the same thing I'm thinking they, they about. Out like four or five tweets of just like three yeah. or four shots of the players working out. And Ryan, like, look, he's put on some yeah. good upper body weight. Yeah. Right? Like, Cause he was okay. real like lanky, right. skinny-ish. Missed his senior year of high school. Right. COVID. But yeah, he was one of those his guys. length still stood out to you, but he's putting mm-hmm. on some bulk on that length. Right. Which is right. fantastic. Right. Yeah. So my hope is that he makes a transition and, you know, and he kind of just had a screwy first year, you know, he had COVID and missed some time and an injury and missed some time. And, you know, but I hope that he's able to push Clarence Lewis. Do I expect them to beat him out? No. Part of me, because I I am, I'm going to be honest. I'm a, I'm a little concerned defensively that they are too veteran centric. Again, that's just based off one season. But I just have a hard time that at no point in time last year, at yeah. no point we, in time. We talked about this yesterday a little bad bit. Bad as Clarence Lewis was against Wisconsin. And again, if Graham Mertz had any kind of downfield accuracy, Clarence would have given up two big plays in the past game against Wisconsin last year. Cincinnati went at him and had success on him, right? Uh, obviously, Oklahoma State went on him. And other teams had success on him. And there was a, he was a the target. Play. He was also the guy that was too aggressive and got beat on that long pass against Florida State that Kyle Hamilton came backside to pick off. I believe that was was Clarence that got sucked up in on that play too. So it wasn't just the Oklahoma State game. that it, right. Oklahoma State was the worst game of the year. But he had some issues at other times. But at no point in time did they think twice about putting Phillip Riley or Ryan Barnes or Chance Tucker in the game. That concerns me. Were they that far behind? And if they were that far behind, what makes me think that in 15 spring practices they're going to, you know, and in fall camp that they're going to come out and beat out Clarence Lewis for the starting job? I'm not optimistic about that. I hope I'm wrong. And that's not a knock on Clarence Lewis. I hope I hope they have really tough decisions to make about who starts because it's always a tough decision to bench a starter. Absolutely. It's never easy. And he's like never a two-year easy. starter. I mean, a year and a half. Basically. I mean, yeah. yeah. And that would be – that would take some cojones to bench a two-year starter. It just would, right? I mean, right. So if you I put get a that. young guy in and he gets beat, 
it's going to come back on you. Absolutely. Right. As a coach. Sure. And, but that's why you get paid the big bucks to make those. So Absolutely. I have, a, I have a lot of confidence in Mike Mickens. And so far he hasn't done anything to hurt that. This is a big off season for him. Yeah. Right. This is a big off season for Mike Mickens because, you know, this is the off season where Mike Mickens gets to prove, Hey, I am a, I'm a, I'm, I'm an, I'm the coach that Driscoll and coach Freeman and everybody thinks I am because, you know, I'm the guy that, that, that recruited and was the first one to develop sauce Gardner and, and, right. and, you know, Kobe Bryant and, and Nick Johnson at Bowling Green. And, and he's got a track record of producing top corners. Well, last year, cornerback play opposite Cam Hart wasn't very good. Right. And, and so is that a lack of talent? Did coach Mick not do as good of a job? You know, that type of thing. That's what we're going to find out. And you know, to me, you've got some talent there. You've got Philip Riley going into year two. You've got Ryan Barnes, and everybody knows how I feel about Ryan Barnes. You've got Chance Tucker, who, you know, had a lot of injuries last year, but before the injuries, the staff was very high on Chance and his speed. You've got Jade Mickey showing up this spring. You're going to have Benjamin Morrison showing up in the fall. I, I, I just feel like there's now too much talent, and some of the young talent has enough experience right. to where. I don't think you can justify just keep trotting out Clarence Lewis every game unless he's going to get a lot better. Because that's the other part of this, too. What if Clarence gets a lot better? It's not just about, I mean, why are we assuming that we're not? Um, it's a rhetorical, you know, hypothetical. Like, why would we assume that Clarence Lewis, as, a, as from a sophomore to junior years, is going to be the same dude? Why are we not talking about how much better yeah, he's right. going to be? Yeah, right. Absolutely. But he's going to have to show that he's a lot better. And and so it's going to be interesting. But I, I my hope is that he gets beat out. Or makes a big jump. Those are the two things that have to happen, in my opinion, for for Clarence Lewis to 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 for Notre Dame to have success at cornerback. He's either gonna have to get beat out or he's gonna have to get a lot better. Because when we look at the schedule, there's a lot better passing teams on the schedule this year than there were last year. And and that's they're gonna need they're gonna need some dudes to to yeah, step, including Cam Hart, all of them. Yeah, and no, absolutely. Yeah, Martin is take his his game to another level. There's no absolutely. question about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's just scratching the surface, but right. You know, but now talk- he's got to go out and do it. Right, right, right. We talk about that now, in our monthly meetings. So one good thing in this question is, I as I said, I don't expect Cam Hart to be completely full go every day in the spring. So I do think there's going to be tons of opportunities for those guys. And so let's say Ryan Barnes is playing a lot of opposite. Clarence, because there's a chance that Ryan Barnes, if 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 I'm right about Cam Hart, then Ryan Barnes is going to be playing a lot opposite Clarence Lewis. If he plays really well, is it a thing where he he keeps stays in that role, right? And they and and they move Cam Hart over, or do they then move Ryan Barnes over to compete with Clarence Lewis? Right. That would be my question, sort of coming out of the spring. We do have a super chat, Brian, from AJ. Thank you very much, AJ. Which is more detrimental to a team? A head coach that is too involved and overbearing with his coordinators or one that is barely involved? That's a great question. That's a really good question. I'm, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple different answers because I can't say which one because it always depends on who the coach is, right? Sure. Like my issue with Brian Kelly for many, many years was that he was not involved enough. Well, I thought Brian Kelly for a time there was pretty darn good football coach and needed to be more involved. He needed right. to kind of, you know, direct the ship more than he did uh, as a team. Not so much with like he wanted to he wanted to direct things where he shouldn't have. 
which is we're going to run this type of offense and this, you know, when you're not involved enough in the day-to-day to be telling people what they should or shouldn't be calling during games. But, you know, I've said before, I, I had coaches tell me, like, we don't have staff meetings. We maybe once a week. And I'm like, that's absurd. Like, Ohio State, Bama, they start off with staff meetings every day. Everybody, you know, in right. the morning. Nope, not here. Everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. Okay. But it's just a lack of being involved. And, and so that's a problem. That, to me, a, a, a coach being barely involved is 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 a problem if the coaches if the coaches are good coach. Brian Kelly was a good coach. I've never said he wasn't a good coach. I just said it, his time at Notre Dame needed to be over. He'd done what he could do, and he just right. wasn't the same guy. He needed a new challenge. Notre Dame needed a new coach. It is what it is. Right. But there are other head coaches, and, and if you have a good staff, and I'm like, he, I wish he was less involved because that guy's not a good coach. And his coordinators are kind of carrying him. Uh, then there's the opposite of, you know, a guy that's too involved and overbearing. If he's not a great coach, that's really problematic, really problematic. But you know who else that in, in describes too involved and overbearing? Describes Nick Saban. When he, he worked out pretty well, right? So with anything at the end of the day, it's it's always going to be about the quality of the coach. What's the quality of the coach, right? And because if a coach is if a coach is really, really good, you're gonna you're gonna want him really involved. If a coach isn't really good, then you're gonna want him taking a back seat to the to the assistant. So it just depends on the on who the specific coach is. I'd say in general, it's it just in theory with no context. My answer would be the barely involved one. Yeah, because yeah. then you have just another lack of leadership and direction. Right, in the football program. Because I, as a football coach, I would want to have a an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator to run their side of the ball. I want them. I want that to be their side of the ball, but. Those guys are both meeting with me and we're having discussions about what's going on on both their mm-hmm. sides of the ball. Like I'm involved, you know what I mean? But I want them to own it and I don't want to micromanage it, but I still want to be involved. Like that, that's how I would run it. So it's kind of a, a, a happy medium, I guess, is, is what you would want, right? W- with mm-hmm. this. Um, but I, that's that's how I treat my staff as on from a baseball staff too. It's like, I want you guys to own your position groups who you're working with. And everything, but you know, the buck stops with the head coach, and right. I want to know what you're going to be doing before you do it. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to see how different head coaches attack that job and how mm-hmm. they treat the coordinators and their coaches and all that. So far, I've really liked what I've heard from Marcus Freeman about how he wants each position coach to be the head coach of that position, mm-hmm. right? And that also involves recruiting and the drill work and the the, the film stuff, all of that. He wants his guys to have a leadership role. Mm-hmm. you know that he's leading them as well. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really important. He's again, he's saying all the right things. I believe he's implementing all of those things because he did it as a defensive coordinator with his position coaches. So I can only imagine he's going to continue doing that as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a happy medium, AJ. And I, and I think that's a really good question though, um, because it's difficult for a head coach to not be overbearing at times, especially when it's a side of the ball that you came up on. You know what I mean? And that's going to be a challenge for Marcus Freeman on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. Got the next question ready? I am finding one. Here we go. From John. Which position group on defense needs to make the most progress? I I think it's a toss-up between the between two for me. 
uh, between corner and linebacker, but I'm going to stick with linebacker because I think linebacker is a very important position in this in this defense. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a big jump that this group can make. And I think they can make it, but I think they need to make the most progress. I, I think I think I agree with the, the point that they can make a big jump. What I don't agree with is the need that they need that they need to make a bigger jump than anybody else because I still think at times last year the linebacker play was pretty good. I, I, I don't know that I could point to a time last year when I felt like the other cornerback opposite Clarence Lewis, or I mean opposite Cam was playing really well. I think and again it goes back to the schedule, right? Notre Dame's corners, if they don't play well, it doesn't matter what the linebackers do to a to a degree. You know, I mean, you're you're just if you're if you're as bad as you were against Oklahoma State at corner, it doesn't matter. Or, or against North Carolina. I mean, think about some of the big plays and the bad mistakes they made in that game. You know, if you play like that, it won't matter what your front seven. You know, we've always said a, a great front seven can make a you know, a, a mediocre secondary better. That's Absolutely. true. But at the end of the day, when you're playing the best of the best teams or the best of the best, not the best of the best teams, but the best of the best units, the one you're facing, it it, it won't matter. They're yeah. going to make plays. They're going to make plays on you. Right. And so to me, I think cornerback has to, because I feel like you can scheme, you can scheme your way to success with linebackers aren't, aren't really good. I feel like cornerbacks one of those positions where when you're playing the best teams on your schedule, they can you can't protect them with scheme unless yeah. you have Kyle Hamilton back there. So, <laughs> and and the True. other thing is if you're protecting with scheme, you're taking away from the safeties being able to do other things to to make your defense effective. So I'm absolutely going cornerback. I think cornerback's the position where Mike Mickens is either going to deserve a big raise. This offseason, or, or <laughs> we're going to be like, you know, hey, you know, he he's not doing the what we what yeah. he what he should have done, right? Uh, or what I think he's capable of doing. Well, I think one of those two things is going to be true. My hope is is that it's the it's the former. It's the you know, if you look at the teams that they played and how they played, man, those those corners played above their above what we thought maybe their potential was, or their talent was, or their experience was, or whatever the case may be. You know, that dude, you need to make sure that dude doesn't, doesn't go anywhere, right? Because he did a great job. I hope that's the I hope that's the storyline when we come out right. of the 2022 season. Cool. See, we don't agree on everything, everybody. Just putting it out yeah. there. Scott yeah. has a good question. I think this is a fun one, and he he says it's a fun one. Where is your favorite place to sit or prefer to watch a game? End zone, 50-yard line, corners. Just curious. Thanks, guys. Well, I mean, I like the fifty yard line. I'm not gonna lie, but it has to be high up. I can't really stand high. being yeah. down. If I'm watching the game, I don't like being close to the field. Yeah. Okay, I, I I don't like that at all. If I'm head coach, I want to be on the field. If I'm any other thing besides the head coach, I want to be up in the box. Yeah. So I like being up high. When I would watch my son's football games, for example, when I wouldn't talk myself into into the box as a parent. And I would just do the PA announcing or something like that because I like that view. I would sit up in the top row of the bleachers. That, that's where I mm-hmm. like to watch games. When I'm coaching, I like to be at the 50-yard line and high. As an analyst, I kind of like being somewhere around the 40s, maybe to the 35, somewhere in there, because I feel like it gives me more room to kind of see behind 
one of the sides of the field where when you're at midfield, I mean, there's a good chunk of the field where you're just kind of right there with sure. them, you know, even with them, which is a good, I mean, great view for watching the game. It's the best view to just sit and watch. But as far as for work, like what I need to accomplish for work, I kind of like being just a touch off of midfield. But any anywhere between 35 to 35 and high is a phenomenal view for me. What Where I hate is I hate being in the end zone. I hate being in the end zone. Uh, whether it's as a fan or as an analyst, there's no time that I like being in the end zone. And we had the B, the Notre Dame BC game in 2015 in Fenway. So it was on a baseball field, right? Well, the way that it worked is the field went from like from sort of the third baseline out to right field. Well, if you think about where a press box is in in a You're major in league baseball stadium, it's like right behind the home yeah. plate. We're like I'm, I was literally where I sat was. So, like, if you know what the press box looks like, if you've ever seen Moneyball, the scene at the end of the movie where he's talking to the owner of the Red Sox, that's actually in the press box. So I've yep. been, uh, so I've been kind of in there, and it literally is ro- looking right down the middle of the goalposts. Right, I hated it. Yeah, hate it because you couldn't see what's on the other side, right? Because it's not like the the all twenty, you know, the the cutups we do events where the camera's high and you're kind of looking down, so you can see the techniques. Nope. We were looking through right through the backs of the guys. It was terrible. Yeah. So that, as terrible. a coach, I love the end zone view, but it, you're, but you're, uh, zoomed, but the end, you're end zone in. view on is, film is right. a whole lot different than 100%. the end zone view sitting in the stands. Right. I just wanted to clarify terrible. that. I wanted to clarify the difference because the end zone view as a coach from the, from the film is so important, especially right. from a, an offensive line point of view. It's important, but it's, that. if you can only do one, one view, you can't go with the, the, tight you can't go at the end zone view if you're only going to do one like let's say you only have access to one wide or tight well, it's all 22 you gotta I go mean, with the, you gotta go with the absolutely because right. you can see everything if i'm an offensive right. line coach i want the tight behind i want the end zone view that, to if, degree, I, if yeah. i'm an offensive line coach that's what yeah, i want to a degree yeah. i want to be able to see splits i want to be able to see first right. steps you need both you need yeah. both absolutely yes. yeah right. for sure for yep. sure when they started coming up with the end zone views for high school, man, that was a game changer, man. I, that, that's all I'm going to say. It's got one for you, Vince, from John A1. Throwing in a question for Vince to see if we can get him from behind the scenes. Does playing baseball complement football the way wrestling and basketball does? I'm very curious to hear your opinion on this because I have a very strong opinion on this. Ooh, okay. I Look, I first of all, as a whole, I think playing another sport is ridiculously important. Plain and simple. Uh, I think baseball can help. Uh, for example, I think baseball can help an offensive lineman with his footwork. I absolutely think that. I'm trying to get the starting guard from the ba- from the football team to play first base for me uh, because I think he needs help with his footwork, and I think I can help him with his footwork, right, because you need to be mobile. Um, I also think playing outfield can be very beneficial to a defensive back because it's a lot of the same hip movements, opening your hips and going after fly balls and things like that, I think can be very, very beneficial to you. Uh, fast twitch movement. I think uh, running the bases can be beneficial to any position on the football field. And then, of course, if you've got a guy throwing freaking darts as a quarterback, why would you not want him to come and pitch for you? Because I can guarantee you if he can throw darts with a football, he could probably throw it over the plate as well. So um, I'm a huge proponent of multi-sport athletes. I I would never want a kid to specialize in high school. I think baseball can absolutely help a football player, and I I will take that one to my grave. I think baseball can help 
football players in certain ways. I will say the one position I hate is pitchers and quarterbacks because I feel like pitching and in, because in, I was a pitcher and yeah. a quarterback and right. I feel like it's two completely different throwing motions and and it can jack a guy up in my opinion it, it can it can jack your and I think it jacks your your kind of feel like it it jacks your football throwing motion off a little bit more than it does your baseball I've, I've said throwing a football is a lot more like hitting a baseball than it is pitching a baseball because the wider base, the core, the hip turn, the coil, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I think baseball can help with that. I, I just – I feel like if a if a kid is going to play another sport, to help him get better prepared for football, baseball would be well down my list for most players. If it's a lineman, I want him playing basketball or wrestling, right, and doing shot put and things like that in the spring because I want – I just feel like those things are going to, you know, because wrestling compared to baseball, I think wrestling baseball can help alignments, footwork and stuff like that. You're right. But there's no point where he can just go hit somebody. Oh, no, get no. Off the team. no, there's right. not. There's you know definitely what I mean? not. Right. So no. whereas wrestling is, you oh, I would be pushing, important in wrestling. Absolutely. I, I right. think wrestling it, is probably the right. best other sports. Right. Play. But then wrestling's oh. over and then baseball starts. And right. then I say, I'd rather him go throw the shot, do the discus, like something that requires the, you know, hand-eye coordination, something like that, right? Like I'd say those type of things. Uh, when it comes to football, I, you know, the position I think is best suited. This is going to sound funny because it it matters for Notre Dame. I think the position that baseball best helps, in my opinion, is running backs and linebackers, because baseball has so much lateral movement, right, and change of direction, and hand-eye coordination, and footwork, and things like that. I feel like for receivers, it can help a little bit, like with fly balls, tracking balls and things like that. But like, I, I'd be a more of a track basketball than track guy for like a receiver or corner. Uh, and But I would say if I had to pick between the two, I'd rather a defensive back play baseball than a receiver play baseball. Because I feel like in, in, in a corner, there's so much, there's so much opening and running as an outfielder, right, right Vince? I mean, where you and that's what I was talking about. It's right, opening your right. hips. It's the same. I don't same know movement. what baseball does for a wide receiver. Like, not, not that a receiver can't be a great baseball player. It's just that I don't know how much baseball helps a receiver with that, other than you know hand-eye coordination. Oh, it doesn't. It's important. No, it doesn't. You know, but, I, I, like I said, I, <clears throat> I, I think defensive back could be a great middle, like right. a corner outfielder, like that kind of thing. Shortstop, out, yeah, center field, yeah, you know all, I mean? yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yes, no question. Yeah, but if you're talking about a big guy, he's going to be a wrestler in the winter, and he's going to be a, a shot putter, a discus guy in the in the in the winter or spring. That's absolutely what I would do, in my opinion. But uh, so have my guy talk to you. But Got to it. your point, to your point, I just want kids to play more sports. Absolutely. Just Absolutely. play more sports. Number yeah. one, it, you get this, you get one shot at being a teenager. This is the one sad thing that I feel that we've seen from, from college football becoming such a big business basically is you know, young people are being forced to give up their their high school careers in a lot of ways. Phil Dracovic actually caught a lot of flack from people for not enrolling early at Notre Dame. The reason he didn't enroll early at Notre Dame? Basketball. He wanted to play basketball. Yeah. Right. And and lead his team to say championship. And I, I loved that he made that decision. Me too. Absolutely. And, 
but it hurt him as a being able to play as a freshman in football. Okay, so what? You know, I, I wish Tyler Buckner wouldn't have stopped playing lacrosse. I get why he did it, the knee injury and just, you know. Right. But I, I, you know, that's another sport that, that I think is great for, for, I mean, I don't know how to play lacrosse. I don't understand lacrosse. But I understand athleticism. I understand, and I watch the cross. And I'm thinking, that's a great football sport. That's a great off-season sport for football players to play. A lot of conditioning, a lot of sprinting, a lot of physicality. Great hand-eye coordination thing. Like it takes a ton of hand-eye coordination to be able to play lacrosse. Uh, a lot of change of direction. I mean, that that's a sport that I'm I'm surprised more football players don't play lacrosse. Now I understand part of it is because it's more of a let's be honest it's more of a, a niche sport. No, nah, I don't. I'm not niche. It's niche. Why is it niche? It's niche because there's a certain class of people that tend to play lacrosse, right? Generally, yes. Like the, the, the reason I could play football as a kid growing up, you know, we didn't, you know, we weren't wealthy, is because all I needed was a football and a pair of shoes, right? Right, like a basketball. I just, I mean, you can go. You if you have a basketball, you can go find a place to play basketball. Sure. Baseball event used to be that way. Yes, because baseball. the little league and everything baseball else. Baseball went away yeah. from that, and it's like With you had to have ball. money to now play baseball growing up, right? right. Which is why Where, my kid never played baseball, right? I mean, is, yeah, right. But like soccer, um, there's a that's part of the reason I think soccer is such a worldwide sport. It's you, there's a lot of poverty around the world. You don't have to be rich to play soccer. You just need a stinking ball. Yeah, right. Same thing with basketball. I mean, you don't even need a rim technically to work on basketball. It's true. I mean, look, there's been plenty of times when I was younger and I'd be at a relative's house and I had a basketball, but there was no rim nearby. You just got to work on your handle. You're shooting up against the brick. You know what I mean? The brick wall. You're just working on passing against the brick wall, things like that. Can't do that in baseball, really. I mean, you need like the net. It's a financial investment. I think that's why more kids don't play lacrosse. It's not a sport that just your average lower middle class family can afford to play. Well, and, uh, and it's also not yeah. all offered at a lot of I, I, exactly. I never heard of lacrosse. It's, it's, it's a like, club sport in Indiana. Yeah. It's not even IHSA. When, when I moved, sport. I never heard of lacrosse in Ohio. Never heard of it. Moved to Virginia and heard of lacrosse, but the only schools that played lacrosse were like the private schools, Norfolk Academy, right. Cape Henry Collegiate. Like, we didn't have that at public schools. Right. You know, and then the first time I'd ever actually watched a lacrosse game wasn't until I got to college. Right. I never heard of lacrosse. So I think that's why it's a little nichey. I still but haven't if, watched a lacrosse game. If it's a man, it's a it's a it's a I have no clue what I'm looking at, right? Right. right. But you can appreciate the thing that I part of the reason I hated lacrosse initially was, let's be honest, I didn't like the kids that played lacrosse because they were the the rich kids that went to the private you, schools, right? You said didn't, that it didn't like me. those kids. Yeah. And then when I went to college, Salisbury was a really good lacrosse team, and their player, the most of the lacrosse players are just giant douches. I mean, they just were. It's true, and they um, still are. But when I actually got older and actually sat there and, like, it actually wasn't until I did this job, and I actually watched Notre Dame's lacrosse oh, team. Be, yeah, right. And I'm like, this is a really intense sport. Like, this is a physical – a physical sport that requires a lot of athleticism and skill and, you know, things that, that you appreciate. And so if I can, if you can get past sort of the, the other stuff, it's a really, it's a really intriguing sport as far as there's a lot of carryover athletically. And it's the only other sport that I know of besides hockey, where you got to wear pads, which, which huh? No, that's one dude. It's the most that's important one dude. dude. 
Okay. Says a well, you probably played catcher, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> that's just so you don't get with that the ball. Obvious? That's so you get with the ball, right? <laughs> not you're not worried about getting hit by another dude. Oh. You know. So that's right, because nobody crosses my plate. Well, right. especially now with all the rules of Major League Baseball. You can't. I mean, you got to go around, go you got to slide, you got to. Can't yeah. have these rich guys, you know, having <clears throat> contact in baseball. It's one no. of many reasons I stopped watching baseball. <sighs> so it was hard. College baseball is still fun to watch, though. Yes, it is. Just saying. And Notre Dame's off to a good start. Number two in yeah. the country. Yeah. I mean, really good. Drop, drop that walk off. Was it Delaware? Beat them on a walk off. Yeah. But- but they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. really good, and they're yeah. really fun to watch. I I actually what really enjoy watching a Link Jarrett coached team. Yeah. Oh yeah. So no doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. Let's I'm get back take- to football. All right, if we must. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Guns has the next one. Are you guys fans of the Viking saga and the Last Kingdom series? Season five of the Last Kingdom starts here in a week or so. That it was a different language. I have no idea what any of that means. I never saw the Last Kingdom series, but I I did watch Vikings. Yeah, I watched that on. Was it the FX History? I think it was History, but uh, I did watch that. And the last couple seasons of Vikings kind of got a little bit stupid for me, <laughs> but uh, the first several I, I really liked. When once Ragnar went off, it, it kind of got a little bit weird. Uh, but yeah, I, I rather enjoyed the first few seasons of Vikings. I've never seen the Last Kings. I've always kind of looked at it on like Netflix and different things. Like, yeah, I should probably check that out. I just haven't done it yet, so. But yes, the, I have nothing to add. I apologize, yeah. Tommy. I, I've got nothing to add. Although I will say the Abraham Lincoln one that just came out on History Channel, excelente. A very, yep. very good. Really enjoying that one. Jeff has the next one. Could Tyler Buckner be like Malik Willis? Sure. You know, I, I think there's some there's some I think there's some carryover to their games. I'd have to watch Malik Malik Willis a lot more to say this definitively, but I think there's some carryover. I, I think Malik Willis is a guy that that can make plays with his legs first, and obviously he's developed as a passer. He's gotten better as a passer. I I, I don't I don't like it as a direct comp. I would say can Tyler Buckner have the impact on the game that Malik Willis had at liberty or he would have had anywhere else yeah sure yeah he can definitely do that i would be disappointed if tyler buckner is the same kind of passer as malik as 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 malik willis i don't think malik willis is a great passer i think there's been some hype about him as a thrower this offseason about how he's the best you know quarterback in the draft class and also the, I don't I don't see that if he's the best quarterback in this draft class it's not a good draft class well, and it's, it's not, not a good quarterback not, I was going to say it's not I mean Kenny but, Pickett's the number one QB right now well some saying. are saying it's Malik Willis I just I don't see it I yeah, think he's a very yeah. dynamic so here's the difference between Malik Willis and Lamar Jackson right because I think there's going to be obvious Lamar Jackson comparisons sure Lamar always had a better arm and was a better passer than he was ever given credit for. I mean, you know, people forget, you know, you know, Lamar Jackson threw for like, oh, I think over like 3,500 yards one year at Louisville. Uh, at Louisville, also, he ran a pro style. Like Bobby Petrino did a really nice job of incorporating with Lamar a a pro style pass attack into the the read zone runs. But when Lamar had to throw, he was throw he was reading pro style stuff. I mean, his last year. At, at Louisville, he threw for 3,660 yards. You know, the year he won the – I think he won the Heisman Trophy in 15, right? 
it, he threw for 3,500 yards, 30 touchdowns, nine picks. Now his completion percentage was lower. It's in the fifties because there was a lot of, a lot of vertical shots uh, and his receivers dropped a lot of balls those two years. But, you know, I, I don't think Malik Willis has shown me the feel for the game and the feel for processing reads and, and, and throwing on time and anticipation that I always thought Lamar had, right? You could see it with Lamar, but we focus so much on how dynamic of a runner he is that we kind of lost that part of it. So, you know, when I look at Malik Willis and I compare him to, you know, other mobile run throw quarterbacks like a Deshaun Watson, right? Uh, when, when I think of Josh Allen, you know, he is, he is more Josh Allen when he was coming out of Wyoming. Okay. Meaning, you know, Josh was real raw, but you could see some of the things with Josh Allen. But Malik doesn't have Josh Allen's physical tools. He's not as big. He's not as his arms not as strong. I just don't see it. I don't see Kyler Murray when I look at Malik Willis. I don't see Deshaun Watson when I look at Malik Willis. I just don't see that kind of player when it comes to those guys were dynamic athletes, but they also knew how right. to read a defense and get the ball out on time and do this and do that. And I just don't see that from Malik Willis. That's just me. Uh, so so that's where I, I think the comparison would end for me would be the pass game. But as far as how his legs can impact the game, absolutely, I think Tyler Buckner can have that kind of impact. So that's just my two cents. Now, again, I that's off watching just a little bit of Liberty film. I, sure. I downloaded the other day about four or five all 22 games for Liberty this year. So I'm going to go watch more of him. Look at and you. I may come back and change my mind. Right, you know, as we get close to the draft, I'm trying to keep up with Ryan, aren't you? With the draft prep, no, I all you know me, man. I always I know, do stuff I... like that. So, um, now it's just I have someone to talk about it, yeah, with. right, you know, exactly. somebody else that's as big of a draft nerd as I am, right? Like, you know, so right, um, right. I have someone to discuss it with. Like the other day, I I drove, was driving around and I called Ryan and I was like, hey, man, t- tell me your opinion of Aiden Hutchinson. Cause I just don't see it with him. Like I see everybody talking about him being a top the number three. one pick. I'm like, he's like a late first round pick guy to me. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, right. I just don't see it with like it's a lot of hype around, you him, know, like they're acting like this is the next Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase young kind of guy. And I'm like, I don't see it. If I had to pick between the two, I'm taking a job. in my opinion. So I asked Thibodeau? Ryan, you see up there too for, well, I'm just mean a, between the two Michigan oh, guys. Okay. Oh, between the two Michigan guys. Gotcha. Take a job over Hutchinson. I definitely take Kayvon Thibodeau over him. There's no right. question about it. He's talking about dropping into like the 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 low like eight nine ten yeah. area. If I'm if I'm somebody picking eight nine, I'm like, oh god, please. yeah, that's what As I a thought Broncos too. Fan, I'm like, oh please let him drop to nine. Please let him drop to nine. Uh, that would be phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I just so but like it was it was nice to have someone that I feel like has actually broken down the film. Yeah, right. And and, and Ryan actually agreed with me. Uh, you know, he, we neither of us kind of see. Hutchinson for what he's being hyped up to be like when I look at the impact he had on the game as a defensive player and he was the Heisman runner-up and I look at like the impact Manti had in 2012 not even close not even close he had a couple of nice games but like Manti just took over games as a Mike linebacker yeah I saw that from a job hard to do Hutchinson did that against Ohio State but Ohio State's offensive line wasn't very good last year right so it just didn't you know he disappeared against Georgia I mean just flat disappeared yeah against Georgia well, he wasn't there. Yeah. Yep. So that's my, that's my two cents. Next up, Triple Deck Poe. On this day 58 years ago, 22-year-old Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston to become the heavyweight champion of the world, the more you know. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Cassius Clay. And for those of you who don't know, Cassius Clay eventually became Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali. 
Right. So, yep. Who lived right down the road from from here? Which is really? He was from Gary. Was he from Gary? No, he's from, he he lived up in Michigan. Uh, really? Later on, obviously, okay. but yeah, I mean, it was he lived up in Michigan. I can't remember the city, and that's gonna. I'm sure somebody will will know the answer to that. Uh, but he was he was considered local um, the last half of his life. Hmm. So, yep, absolutely. Very interesting. Anthony Solomon, will the gap be closed if Notre Dame gets all their commit targets in 23 to go with the 21 and 22 classes? I don't think the gap will ever be completely closed, will it? Well, it can. I mean, it can be. I mean, eventually Notre Dame could be the most talented team in the country. Will the gap be – look, the gap won't be closed until Notre Dame wins a championship. Exactly. Yes, agreed. That's when the gap is closed. To your point, Anthony, I'm not going to, like – I'm not going to, like – cop out of that answer by saying well until they win a championship the gap's not closed but my but the thing i would say is 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 from just from a recruiting standpoint if notre dame gets keeps all their commits and let's just say let's just say like he says get all their commits uh commit targets in 2023 i'm I'm assuming he means guys that, that they want to get to commit right like the targets of you know to commit let's say they get Dante Moore and and that lands to a really good receiver class and he stand does what we think he's going to do. And, and, you know, they land at least one more really good DB and, you know, land, a, you know, Jason Moore and Devin Houston type guys in the D line. And I look at that class, like, and I stand it up to next year, last year's class and the year before that's class, that's class. I mean, I, I, I'm going to say this just on a God given ability standpoint, this Notre Dame is going to go into 2024 with its most talented team and, 30 years just top to bottom because the thing about those two classes you can actually find times during brian kelly's tenure when they actually added more you know elite players like five star i mean they they landed three five-star ends in one class in 2011 think about that top to bottom though like the depth right that's the key right where now it's like it's not jalen smith next to joe schmidt it's like jalen smith next to Luke Keekley, like it should have been, you know, if John Tenuta wasn't like, ah, he doesn't fit my defense. Let's take Dan Fox, you know, um, which is a decision that he made, by the way. Luke Keekley wanted to come to Notre Dame bad, but John Tenuta felt Dan Fox was the better player. Freaking, oh, my gosh. <sighs> anyway, um, that's like wanting Michael Schofield over <laughs> Zach Martin or Jake Golick over Tyler Eifert. I mean, no disrespect to any of those guys, but it's like, you know, that's exactly what was true, actually, that, that when I say that. They wanted Michael Schofield over Zach Martin, and uh, they initially liked Jake Golick more than Tyler Eifert. But anyway, that's a different comment for a different day. Uh, but <laughs> I think that that would be the difference, right? Like, this thing we talked about is Jalen next to Joe Smith or Joe Schmidt or Manti next to Dan Fox and Carlo Calabrese. It, it was it was or the great front from the 2012 team in Manti, and then you've got like Matthias Farley and Bennett Jackson, and you know nice players that have had sure. you know, NFL careers as kind of special teams guys. And Matthias was the one year start for the Colts, but like I'd rather have some of the DBs that Bama's right. been trotting out, right? Like yeah, Ohio State secondaries, right? Like that's the thing is like that's where they've been missing. Notre, as I said before, Notre Dame's top five in most years can compete with anybody. The difference between Notre Dame and the other teams is, A, they haven't had that top five. At no point in time has one of those top five been a QB. That's a problem. And and the other problem is right. just 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 15, 20, there's a big gap. Big gap. Yeah. 
and and that's what would be fixed because the last two classes for the most part will i mean there's a some here and some there i mean obviously linebacker that came up a little bit short in 2021 receiver they came up short in 2022 in numbers so there have been some misses but you know if if they hit what i what i think they're capable of hitting anthony you won't be able to say they're not competing for a championship because they don't have enough players you 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 won't be able to convince me of that um well, the only person that was won't. trying to convince you of that was Brian Kelly anyway so. <laughs> no no there are several people in the, yeah, in, the, in, the in the media that told us all the time what a phenomenal Brian Kelly's best coaching job ever this year uh the the year that Brian Kelly's teams beat zero top 25 teams it was Brian Kelly's best coaching job ever right I'm so writing that Brian, article Brian Kelly yeah. was not the only person lying to people about Notre Dame's lack of talent. Uh, but he was the driver of the – That was just like a, uh, I will do what you tell me to do. I have no comment on that. I I'll don't want to say that because, for I mean, maybe that's what they genuinely thought. I do think that if you're someone who doesn't know how to watch film, let's be honest. Like, Lou Samoji was this way, right? Lou would admit, like, I would ask Lou his opinion on certain things. He's like, I'm not really going to give you an opinion on that. I'm like, why? He goes, I'm not qualified to do that. But having, but just knowing like, that you don't know is well correct. But you know, but then the, you know that's that's one thing I learned from Lewis: be willing to know what you don't know. So like, yeah. I, there's like, I no one's ever going to send me a book to edit, right? Like that's not <laughs> my deal, right? Like that, I would hand that off to Lou, right? right? And and if somebody handed him some game tape, he'd say, here, here you go, Brian. You know, it's that's why I loved working with Lou because we had such different strengths, complemented each other, and we both appreciated like Lou is way better at this than I am. And Brian's way better at this than I am. So let's focus on our strengths and then come together and 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 put a great product out, which I thought we did when we were together. And and so and you got to work with Lou for a little bit, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hundred uh, percent. We and just so everybody know, like our goal when we when you and I like you obviously started Irish Breakdown, but you know you and I would always talk. Like the the long arching goal was to bring Lou in. And have it be the three of us. Like that was the goal. Like, yeah. When he kind of retired, right? The plan was yeah. he was going to come right for us and do some weekly. Comments. Yeah, which would have been. So it made much me fun. really sad that we weren't able to do that. I know. Together, I know. But to the point is, I mean, I think that would be a thing where I don't want to say people were just, you know, blindly. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, hey, I, I don't watch film. I can't evaluate film. This is what the coach is telling me. This is what his sidekicks are telling me. That's the story I got to tell. But in 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 fairness to them, I mean, some people are that way. Some people were just spinning it because they wanted to get and go with certain sources. Yeah, exactly. Some people were just reporting it as like, "Hey, look, this is what Brian Kelly's saying," and you know. But it just so I I don't want to assume that everyone that did it. Some people had nefarious agendas, but not everybody. Not everybody, in my opinion. Jeff wants to know if you've ordered your Gap closed shirt. No. Still, it's still in the idea stage. Well, no, it's not in the idea stage. It's just I know it hasn't been printed out. I mean, there yeah, yet. it's like Angels. Angels made the design. It's yeah. just I'm I'm not gonna. I mean, look, we're gonna have a whole month between the end of the regular season and the playoff for you know, like if Notre Dame would have made the playoff this year, I would have bought the shirt just in case, just to be ready. But I'd have a whole month to get that thing bought. Yeah, so right. It'll be right. probably closer to the end of the season when I purchase that because I don't want to just be have it sitting in the closet collecting dust for five years. I'm hoping that I can get it ordered soon, you know. Yeah, but absolutely, as of right now, it's still a 
an idea. Yeah. David has a question here. Do we have the speed at wide receiver to start to implement more end rounds, jet sweeps, to keep the D guessing on the edge and open up the running game? The short answer is yes. Oh, to me. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. they should have been doing it. Right. Yeah. Since Braden Lindsay walked into the door, they should have been doing more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they did some, not enough. And yes, absolutely. I mean, Lorenzo Styles is fast. You know, Chris Tyree is fast. Like, there's guys that you can definitely mm-hmm. use to do that kind of stuff. And you should be using to do that kind of stuff. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Now, do they have the depth of speed that you'd ideally like? No. Right. But they're not there yet. Right. But when you've got Brayden Lindsay and Lorenzo Styles, you have enough speed to do that. And and I'd throw Avery Davis in there too, because Avery may not have just the raw speed that Braden has, but he's got some shiftiness. And he's some got some change of direction and some things like yeah. that that he can make things happen right. in the open field. Right. Yeah, so I yes, I I do think they have enough to be effective, in my opinion. Now, do they need to add more of it? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. But you can I, never have too much. Yeah. <laughs> you can never have too much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thomas says, how do you feel about the corner position? Who, in your opinion, will break out and step up? Huh. That's probably the position, Vince, going into the spring I'm most concerned about is corner. Okay. Um, just because I don't have a – like, I like Clarence Lewis, but Clarence Lewis at his best – and I'm going to bring Ryan in to get into this discussion too, because I want to hear both of your thoughts on this. Corner to me is the position I'm most concerned about because I don't love if Clarence Lewis maxes out as a player, he's just a solid player. He's still not someone you want starting against Ohio State and Oklahoma and USC and Bama and you know teams like that. You know, but in and the the players, the younger guys that I really like, I love Ryan Barnes, I, I like Philip Riley, I love Benjamin Morris, and I love Jade Mickey, but they're all guys that still need, as far as we know, need time. And I don't know if they're gonna be ready to play this year. So that to me is the position I'm I'm most concerned about. If it, it, who who in my opinion will break out and step up, I have no clue who will. I'll tell you who I hope steps up and breaks out. I hope that this offseason we see a big, big jump from Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley or Chance Tucker, like two of those three, one of Barnes or Tucker and then Riley. The reason I want Riley is because I like the idea of having a, a big muscular physical kid that I can slide into the slot against some of those air raid teams that like to run the football, having a, a third corner. Like let's say, Oh, Ryan, and we talked to Oklahoma or Ole Miss, right? Ryan, these are two teams that are air raid teams. They're going to spread you out, but they're going to run the ball. You give me a 200-pound kid like Philip Riley who's physical, now I have a kid that can cover and a kid that all, can also play like a rover, right? That's hard to find, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I hope he steps up and then one of Barnes or Tucker for the outside and then one of the freshmen. Like, that would be my hope. So for spring, obviously that's Jaden Mickey. So my hope is that Jaden adds some competition, but one of one of the young outside guys I hope steps up and I hope Philip Riley can kind of provide because like there's matchups you're going to want Tariq Bracey in the slot. There's other matchups like Ohio State. I'm going to like Tariq Bracey in the slot if he's playing to his potential against some other teams in the schedule. I may like actually having a Philip Riley more there or a safety more there because it gives you more of a dual threat type of weapon in that nickel package. That's yeah. my 
that's my two cents. Vince, what's your what's well, your thoughts? On yeah, that? before I have to run here, I, I will say that I'm going to agree with what you said, but I'm also going to add, and we kind of touched on this when we were talking about corners earlier. I think Cam Hart needs to step up a little bit more. Like, and not step up. I, I don't think that's the right terminology. He's got to be more consistent. He's got to be more consistent, and I need his game to take that next that next level. He did what I anticipated he was going to do as a first year starter, and a guy who's been on defense for a year and a half. Right, like that. He was there. It's time to move that game to the next level. I need him to be that lockdown corner now and be the leader in that room. So I, I need him. I guess you can call that stepping up. Um, and and so that's what I expect. I agree with everything you said about those other guys, but people don't talk about Cam Hart enough. I'm going to keep bringing him to the forefront. I think he needs to step up a little bit. But I, I'm going to take off, guys. Yep. But great job. So, I will talk to you later. Thanks, Vince. So, Ryan – your thoughts on the corner position as far as just kind of where it's at right now. And then answering the question on who, in your opinion, either do you think will step up and break out? Or if you don't want to go there, since we haven't seen any spring practice, you can also say who you think needs to, to get for this group to get to where they need to get to. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at what coach Freeman and was able to do at the university of Cincinnati, right? Like it, it's not quite in a positionless approach as much as it's just a versatile approach on the back end, right? Like you had corners that could potentially move all over the place that could play at, inside at safety and spurts that could play nickel position. And although that's a very hard thing to find, like you're not going to have cam Hart, in my opinion, you know, following the best receiver into the slot a ton, if that's kind of the, 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 the fixture there but the point is being that I think that on the defensive side of the football when you're talking about you know Ohio State matching up right like they're even though they lost Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave they're still going to throw out you know Smith and Jigba and Gabuki or whatever his name is Marvin Harrison Jr. like there's still dudes that are gonna be all over the place so I think that you it's a game that's becoming more and more dictated upon creating matchups and you need that matchup negators that's what you need on the back end Clarence Lewis, for me, I, I think would be a really nice depth piece. And I would actually like Clarence maybe, you know, playing inside the slot at top points and being able to play some t- sometimes at safety. Like, I think he gives you some versatility. But I, I think that there's just a limited upside with him as a starter on the outside. Like, I just think that he lacks a little bit of traits to be a really great player at that spot. So who needs to step up? I mean, for me, the Ryan Barnes is the first one just because I want to see that that length outside that we already have that Notre Dame already has with Cam Hart. You have six two and a half there. You have another six two, six three, whatever Ryan Barnes is on the other side. Then you're talking about a lot of ability to match up against those skyscrapers that Ohio State is going to have next year in the first in the first game. And then a guy like Philip Riley for me is a, is another big piece because I think Philip is that guy that can play outside for sure, but can also move inside the slot. And he could be a matchup negator in my opinion. So those are two of the younger guys I think need to step up because I think that you're going to get in the situation where you saw down the stretch of points, unless Clarence Lewis takes a massive step forward, that's going to be where the football is going to be thrown at. You know, like nobody's going to throw the ball at Cam Hart next year. They know who number five is now. Number six is going to be the guy that they're going to see the Oklahoma state game. And then other games where that was the weak link, the USC game, like whatever it is. Like, and I think that you need to upgrade at that position because it's becoming more and more important in the passing league that is predicated on matchups to be able to match up across the board. And I just don't know if Clarence gives that ability for you on the outside. On mute. So you got to learn our strategy because it makes it really hard when I do stupid stuff, like I'm not unmuting it, that I got to then edit it out. So just go like this. Should we have a code word? Should we have a code word? Just go like this and I'll know that I'm (laughs) on mute. 
there was a question that we had from one of the from one of the listeners about Clarence Lewis that I actually feel like this is where I wish it would go. Papa mm-hmm. Bear asks if C. Lou Clarence Lewis gets beat out, would you think he moves to safety and free X to move to receiver? More natural cover guy in the deep backfield and explosive playmaker on offense. So yes, if that if that's what it took to get Xavier Watts to offense, then yes, I'm all for it. But take the Xavier Watts piece out just for a second because mm-hmm. I think. I think there's enough depth at safety right now that you don't need Xavier Watts at safety. Right. They they want him at safety right now because they like him at safety. Mm-hmm. Just so we're all clear. Like he's not there as just a depth guy. They're going to give Xavier a chance to play and play a lot, which is why it's not just an easy decision to move him to receiver. So that that, you know, could it free him up? Sure. But I think he could be if they wanted him a receiver right now, they can move him to receiver right now. Or he, if he wanted to play, he could move right now. Right. So it doesn't. Have, it doesn't have to be a one for one, right? Like Correct. it's not. It's not Correct. a replacement because you have that extra exactly. depth. It's just a move that you would make because you think it's the best interest. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if you were in a situation where you didn't have depth, you'd have to maybe wait to move him. But I don't think that's where they are because because of Brandon Joseph, the Brandon Joseph transfer freed them up to and and DJ Brown and Houston Griffith both coming back for fifth years gives Notre Dame enough depth along with Ramon Henderson, along with Justin Walters, right? They have enough depth. Now, an injury could get him in a tough spot, but there's other guys you can move. Sticking specifically to the Clarence Lewis aspect of this, I believe Clarence Lewis moving to safety would be a plus addition for him because I feel like that better – like here's the thing you don't want to get into. You don't want to start moving guys that aren't athletic enough to play corner to safety because they're then going to not be athletic enough to play safety. For me, it's more about his skill set translates better there. It's Clarence has proved to be a solid college cornerback. He's just not the guy. Like, there's eight teams on the schedule. I have no problem with Clarence Lewis being a starting cornerback for Notre Dame against. It's more against Ohio State, Clemson, maybe BC with Zay Flowers and and USC that I'm going to be a little bit more concerned about. I don't want him covering Mario Mario Williams and Zay Flowers and pick a receiver from Ohio State. Just pick one out of a hat, and that's a guy that I don't want Clarence Lewis having to run, cover for four quarters. And, and so I do like him out. I do think his athleticism pr- plays up better at safety or even inside at nickel where he'd have a little bit more help inside from linebackers and over the top from a free safety. Because you don't have to play cover two to protect or four to protect the nickel. You can much better protect the nickel with either cover three with the corners helping out on the outside or cover one because you've got the free safeties closer to him. So I think as a nickel, as an inside guy, like honestly, I'd flip him and Tariq Bracey. Like that's what I would do. I would have Tariq outside and then I'd have Clarence inside because I think Tariq can at least run with some of those guys. That he couldn't, but ideally Ryan Barnes, Philip Riley, something like that. But to the Clarence Lewis's point, I I actually like him as not just that. Oh, he can't play corner, so move him to safety. No, when I look at Clarence Lewis's skill set, and I say this is a kid that has started in the Fiesta Bowl, this is a kid that has started in the Rose Bowl, a college football playoff game. This kid started in some big games. He has brought value to Notre Dame to some degree. You move him to safety, all of a sudden he becomes a plus in your lineup, in my opinion, not a. I'm not quite, you know, he's just, he's okay. He's a good player, but he's not a guy you want against the best of the best. You move him to safety, in my opinion, I think he becomes a plus for you. 
Ryan, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think if you move into safety too, Brian, like it's there's so much interchangeableness to playing safety, right? Like you can maximize a lot of things that he can do. Like you, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, just throw him as a pure nickel and label him that, right? Like, but he can do those things where he comes down into the slot and he works some man to man. He can work, you know, from depth, obviously, and do a bunch of different things. I think safety allows to take advantage of the versatility he has um, and to fully exploit it. Right. Cause I, I think when you're talking about a purely outside corner, he's in one spot. That's his position, whether that is field or boundary, whatever that, that whole conversation. But if he's at safety, there's so many different things that you can employ safeties as that. I feel like you can get him in so many different positions where, like you just said, the, the experience that he has, and he's had some good moments for sure. I think that you can take advantage of all the, battle testedness that he's had, right? Cause he's been asked to do a lot of things, hold up in the run game and, and cover man to man and cover in zone. There's a lot of aspects to his game that he's been successful in spurts at and finding a role where you can maximize different parts of his game, I think is paramount. It's huge. And it's a big bonus for the secondary, in my opinion. Ryan, think of the guys he's had to cover in a year and a half as a starter at Notre Dame. I know. I know. I mean, it's a, it's an impressive list of dudes. Yeah. I mean, you have the cats at Clemson last year. You have, he had to cover De'Ami Brown when he stepped in and replaced Tariq Bracey last year. He had to cover Josh Alabama. Downs this year, Devontae yeah. Smith, John <laughs> Mechie. Yeah. I mean, he's had to cover some dudes during yeah. his tenure. And, you know, Alex Pierce is a guy that I know you like a lot that he had to check. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, he was locked on David Bell at times this year. So Clarence Lewis is a solid football player. It's just the bar has been raised for Notre Dame as a team. And I think he's one of those guys as a boundary corner. And that's the thing I'm going to have to, I still haven't gotten an extra explanation on why they flipped those two. Cause I feel like as a field corner, Clarence is better protected. So if you're going to have him a corner, I'd like him more as a field guy. And I don't know why they made that move. I have no clue. I'm sure there's a good reason for it. I just don't know what that reason is. So yeah. I, I'm going to, you know, so I think that hurt Clarence more than mm-hmm. it helped that, you know, than it helped him. We'll find out, you know, if that's going to continue. But there, he's a kid that can bring some value. I just wish they could find a position that better suits his strengths. And and so that way it's harder to exploit his weaknesses because you just don't want him flipping his hips and open. You don't want to – if they were still playing Bob Diaco's defense, I'd love Clarence as a corner because it's cover two, it's rerouting, yeah. it's sitting under zones, it's stuff like that. He could play that really well. Nobody really plays cover two full time really anymore, in my opinion. You can't, you can't really. No, you, can't. <laughs> you just can't. You can't. Yeah. If you're playing Wisconsin, maybe, you know, but yeah. like for the most part, you know, cover two is like now like a change up coverage. You, you throw it out there to confuse somebody, like, wait a minute, what's this cover two stuff, right? right. You may play cover two to the boundary, but you're going to play it in a combo coverage where you're going four to the mm-hmm. field or man to the field or something like that. So, you know, I think the only the only really two I see a lot of this now, Ryan, and it's it's two that I like actually. I still think there's a ton of value to two man. If you yeah. have if you have corners that can lock up and and really run, I still find a lot of value to two man, just not cover two as a zone because yeah. of the way the teams play now. But that's the reality that Clarence Lewis finds himself in. So as a as a as a corner, mm-hmm. you know, I I, I really feel like he is going to be limited. I think if they were ever able to get to the point where they could put him at safety, I think that would be the best thing for him. And that'd be the best thing for the, 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 the defense as a whole. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree completely because I, I just think there's a <clears throat> I think just think there's some limitations to even what you can do on the back end. Like you said, it's like you know nobody's running true like Tampa cover two mm-hmm. as much, right? They're not running cover four. Like everything's if they're running anything close to that that understanding, it's some type of match coverage, right? Where like the situations are going to dictate, you know, go into man in the middle of reps, which just mm-hmm. that's just kind of how the game's moving. So I, I, I agree. I, I think that I think that um Clarence, there's ways to maximize what Clarence does well. And I just think that inside potentially would be a lot more of a strength for him, um, especially playing maybe in a little uh, – because even to the field, to your point, right? Like I, I guess the the, the uh, fundamental understanding would be like Cam Hart's probably our best athlete at corner, at least of the starters, right? So we're going to put him to the field, which I guess in theory makes sense. But with extra help to the field, I feel like Clarence could be a better player in that situation comparative to getting in some one-on-one situations to the boundary. But I, I do, I do think that Clarence Lewis, and I want this to be the, the biggest point that I'm going to make is that I think Clarence Lewis can be an asset to a defense. I'm just, have not been the biggest fan of how they've have used that, mm-hmm. that asset. You know, like I feel like that asset could be of a bigger impact in a different role. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. Let's get to some more here. Here's one from John A1. Which position, which group needs the most the most physical development this spring? Earlier we talked about which group needs to improve the most. I went with corner. Which group needs to develop the most the most physical development this spring? That's a really good question, John. I would I would probably have to go with linebacker on that one. That's what I was um, gonna say. Yeah. 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 I was actually, I was actually going to say that because I was thinking obviously Maris is coming back from the injury. You've had a bunch of young guys, obviously Bertrand going into now his second year of of, of increased playing time, obviously potentially, and then you have all the the young guns that that um, that went that enrolled early, right? That that fantastic group. So I think that where you're really young at that unit, there's a lot of promise in that unit, but there's either coming back from injury, limited experience, or no experience at all in that unit. So I feel like physical development is going to be huge for linebackers. Mm-hmm. And I think Jack Kaiser is another guy that just needs to continue to get stronger. Yeah, that that's going to be a, a a big one for me. Got a, questions are rolling in now. Finally, this is good stuff. They spent like a half an hour just talking about the fact I'm not wearing a hat today. I told you that so, we, when someone we talked made a before, comment on there, yeah, yeah. there were several. <laughs> and I told you before the show that it was going to get discussed a lot, but uh, just didn't feel like wearing a hat today. Uh, M. Kostra, will the bus have any involvement with the running back room apart from pure star power? I, I don't think so. No, in, I, involvement in what I guess involvement in what way? So, I think they're he's thinking not... like he's going to be like a, what he's going to be mentor. is going to be a mentor and yeah, and kind of that big name. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I love the fact that Dylan McCullough has embraced Jerome Bess being on campus this offseason. Yeah. He mm-hmm. could have gotten real territorial, like, hey, this is my group, and I, you know what I mean? And that's partly why I don't think you can bring him back as a coach, even if you wanted to. I'd be like, look, if you wanted to, if, if Jerome Bettis wanted to get into coaching full-time, I'd, I'd talk about it. But if it's just, hey, while I'm here, I'll help out. No, I wouldn't do that. Because right. Coach McCullough needs to establish himself. He's the guy you got to listen to. But he has wisely embraced. Like I got a Hall of Fame running back on campus every day taking classes. If I, who played here was an All American, you know, was an All American caliber player here. Played under the last legendary coach Notre Dame had, because you mm-hmm. have to win a title to be a legend, in my opinion. Uh, longevity doesn't equal legendary. And so I I look at it and say, boy, you know, you, you really hope you can find a way to take advantage of that. And he has, I mean, there's the picture where it's him and Jerome Bettis 
There was the picture on Twitter that people are talking about where it was taken while they were at Ruth's Chris and Jerome Bettis is there. You know what I mean? So it's like, man, you, you've got, you've got to take advantage of that. And, you know, I think, but I think, and then as a mentor to some of these young guys, you know, I think having a guy like Jerome Bettis around and maybe take Logan Diggs under his wing, if he's struggling, you know, about being away from home or if Audric estimates, you know, maybe unhappy about certain things or struggling to be away from home or Chris Tyree's not liking t- I, These aren't issues. I'm just throwing stuff out, right? Whatever happens to right. young kids, mm-hmm. having a guy like that, that can, that's not your coach that's been through it. I think is, is big. Yeah. Is well, big. And I, I, I think you need to utilize even more than that. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's obviously Jerome Bettis is the easy one because he's a senior student now, but when Quentin Nelson wants to come back on campus, hey man, let's go meet with the team. When Michael Floyd wants to come back, Wolf, like whoever it is, the the stars that people know, come back and you know, I don't even like not obviously in an expanded role, but like come here mm-hmm. and talk to the team, show your face. We welcome you back. Be welcoming to what has made you great in spurts, but I I, I think that you need to use that to your advantage because I think it's huge. Yeah. And there, there was another question about this that, that I want to uh, fi- find as well that I thought I kind of want to address because here he is from Adam Ziliak. Do you see more former players coming back to speak with the team like Jerome Bettis did the other day? Now, let's keep in mind it's it's much easier for them to get Jerome Bettis on campus to speak because Jerome now lives in South Bend for the time being because he's going to yeah. school at Notre Dame. But this is something Marcus Freeman's been pushing for from the minute he got here. This is what that State of the Union was all about. It was, hey, you guys built this tradition. I'm benefiting off of what you built. You got to be a part of this. And Marcus, Coach Freeman, before that video was turned into private, he made a comment that was like, the tradition can't just be about what we tell the players. It can't be like this fictitious thing they can't, talk to or touch or whatever it's you guys you are the tradition and the golden if the golden dome was what it is and notre dame was nothing but a mediocre football team for 70 years nobody really talks about the golden dome the way that they do now right touchdown jesus is just kind of like a cool fun thing but it's not that big of a deal right it's it's newt rockney's not newt rockney because of the golden dome he's newt rockney because he was a, a a revolutionary football coach right it's the people it's Lou Holtz it's his players it's the it's Joe Montana's it's it's going all the way back Alan Page I mean Notre Dame was producing all Americans it went on to win NFL MVPs and then become members of the Minnesota Supreme Court right like it's that's the tradition of Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman gets that and and he also doesn't have like Marcus Freeman has an ego like any other good football coach and the ego is simply your own confidence in yourself and your ability to do a job. That's ego. That's a healthy ego. An unhealthy ego is when I can be the only face of the program. Like, uh, I don't know, other coaches that maybe coach at Notre Dame for 12 years. Marcus Freeman understands that, like, I don't define Notre Dame. I'm a part of Notre Dame. Jerome Bettis is a bigger part of Notre Dame than I am. Lou Holtz is a bigger part of Notre Dame than I am right now. And I want you guys around. For, so for him to get on the Zoom call with legends and say, hey, we got, we need you guys here. You know, and, and you know, talking to Sean Davis earlier today, he was talking about talking to a former player and how that guy was like, you know, I don't have to worry about buying a ticket now to a game because I could be on the sideline where the player, the, the recruits can see me. Like, that, 
the fact that they have to say that is absurd to me. You know, like a former player, a former captain has to be concerned about whether or not he can get a ticket to a game is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Marcus Freeman is trying to change that. So, yes, we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see a lot more of that around the program. I mean, Marcus Freeman the other day taking a picture and basically matching clothes. I don't think it was on purpose. It was just, you know, khakis and a navy blue shirt with Lou Holtz tweeting it out as like a praising, like, you know, this is the guy. Some of that is for show, but doing something for show is okay if you actually believe what you're saying. And so even though Marcus Freeman and the staff are doing things, you know, you're tweeting the Jerome Bettis thing out. You're tweeting that out for for effect, but you have him there to speak because it has a legitimate impact on your football team. It can be both. You can, you can do something that is a, that is a, is a, is a sort of a, it's a prop, but yeah. it also has value. And and that's what they're doing. And and I love the fact he's doing that. It's just another example of he has embraced Notre Dame in a way that the last head coach just never did. And I think it's going to benefit the program a great deal because of it. Yeah. No, and and I mean, just to that note, the recruiting the recruiting land has changed, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Like everything has changed. Social media is a huge thing, and it is. And and then being able to show that video of Jerome Bettis, like you said, it's not necessarily – that moment didn't happen because they wanted this great Twitter video to go viral, right? Like mm-hmm. that was a moment for, their, for the players of the football team. But then also it has a – a continued effects on the recruiting landscape on supporters of the program of everybody that's seeing this video on Twitter. And you have to use that to your advantage, man. Like you have to, it's it's there's the glitzing lamb now of recruiting and just of selling your program just in general. So you have to use those things. So if something can serve a multiple purpose, you got to use it. Mm-hmm. More questions from Brian crawl daddy. Love this name, by the way, some of you and your names are so creative. I love it. How long will it take? This is a very good question, though. How long will it take to turn around the offensive line? I feel like our line has a long way to go in order to be elite. I addressed this the other day. I'll I'll say it again, Ryan, depending on what yeah. you say. You may say what I'm going to say, and then I don't need to repeat it. So um, since I already spoke on this the other day, I want to give you a first crack at, at addressing this. How long will it take to turn around the offensive line? And do you feel like the line has a long way to go in order to be elite? So how long would it to turn it around? I mean, the the moment they play in another game, I think it's going to be drastically improved because you're going to have a whole offseason. Then let's say this. Since, since the second yeah. part of the question was about being elite, elite let's say yeah. how long do you think it will take for Notre Dame to have one of the five to six best offensive lines in college football? I think that's I think, it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think it could happen by midseason, by the end of the season. I think that that's very possible because I think that you have – two rising sophomores, you know, for at offensive tackle, which is going to be paramount. You have a center that is projected to potentially be a first or second round pick next year that has played going into his fourth year as a starter. You have Andrew Kristofik, who is coming back for his second year as a starter. You have a lot of experience coming back. I mean, a lot, of, at least a lot of, well, I, some of them are still younger guys, but you still have a guy, guys that have played a lot of football. And if there's a, a lot of talent and coaching, I think has just been kind of the missing element to a degree for, for sure. So I think a full off season and then, um, you know, half the season to mesh. And then I think that your role in the second half of the year, I think that it could be potentially one of the best offensive lines in, in college football by the end of the season, because I think that there's talent. It's not like you're, it's not like you have to replenish the talent in the room. The talent is there. It's just been about development. And I think that development can happen very quickly, to be honest. 
I said the other day in a show, Ryan, that I thought that we should start to definitely see a, a big change. If if it's not by the by the third game, I'm going to be disappointed. I don't expect them to look like the 2017 O line in the opener or at any point in time in the first three or four games. But by the third game, we should see like, yep, this group is definitely better. It could be by the first game to to. I think to say like five or six best lines, I think mid middle of the season, I think it was a, a good time frame. So I agree with you on that. But yes, I don't think they have a long way to go in order to be elite. And that's what was so frustrating, Brian, is because the talent was better than it was. There were two things happening, three things happening last year for specifically. Number one, the team, the unit didn't have the right mindset. And that was an issue for a while. It just wasn't a physical, just get after it group. Number two, they were poorly coached. They don't yeah. they don't play with good footwork and they don't play with hand, good hand hand play. That can be fixed in an off season. It, yeah. it just can. And then you know number three, I don't think they had guys playing at the right spots. And, and I I mean Mike, you throw Michael Carmody out at left tackle. Guess what? He's not going to be successful. It's just not. He's not left tackle. Does that mean that Michael Carmody can't play? Definitely doesn't mean that because I think he can play. You know I mean. They're just there were certain like not being not being more willing to move, you know, um, Jarrett Patterson out to tackle right. with with Lug, you know, and Zeke Carell at center where Zeke was more comfortable, and then mm-hmm. moving Lug inside the guard. Like oh, all of a sudden, like you put Patterson out at right tackle, Blake Fisher at left tackle, Zeke Carell at center with Josh Lug, and then you know the battle at the other guard spot between Kane Madden and Rocco and Christoph and all them. It's That's a, a better. much better line. Yeah. Yeah. But they were unwilling to do that, even though, from what I'm told, Jared Patterson wanted to move. Like, mm-hmm. he had been convinced. Like, at first, he was like, uh, I got the good thing going here at center. Then when it was kind of told to him, like, hey, look, here's what's – it's, it's going to impact you NFL draft-wise. Ryan, yeah. so, okay, I'll kind of ask you this. If yep. Jared Patterson moves out to right tackle this year and and plays the way I think you and I think he would have played a tackle, what does that mm-hmm. do to his draft value? Well, I mean, I, th- I think it gives – it obviously – the ability to play multiple positions or at least back up multiple position is paramount at the next level, right? First mm-hmm. and foremost. I also think offensive tackle, we talked about this before. You're you are on an island there, so your traits are well more on display, right? So you sometimes at center, it's some it can be a little difficult to evaluate because you're getting so much help on both sides of you and, and sometimes in pass protection, like you might be one-on-one a handful of times a game. So being able to see the traits, I think, would help big time. And then also just being able to play multiple positions is is big time as well. So it can help tremendously. And I'll say this, Brian, like how many teams in college football right now would tra- try tr- would want Jared Patterson as their center to start with? Like how many would want him? And then think right. about how many other college football teams would trade out their offensive tackle situation for having Joel and Blake Fisher? And how many would want mm-hmm. an Andrew Christophic? Talent is not the issue. And jo- it, Josh it, Lug may not start for Notre Dame this year. Like right, there's right. a chance. No, I, I think he will, but yeah. I, there's a chance he won't. Zeke Carell's not going to probably be a starter for Notre Dame this year, right? Rocco Spindler's may not be a start. And if he is starting, it means Andrew Christophic's not starting. Like, there are the, the talent talent's not an issue. And yep. the only the only people that thought talent was an issue, well, the only person was Brian Kelly. I mean, I genuinely mm-hmm. think he convinced himself of that because he couldn't accept the fact that I screwed up, right? But yeah. no, to, to your point, Brian, I, I would say, Brian, I think where you're coming from is 
you're assuming that the level of play last year equals the talent level. And if you're assuming that, then I understand and I'm sympathetic to you thinking they're, they got a long way to go. I just don't accept the premise that what we saw last year was indicative of the talent level as much as it was indicative of the coaching and, and the decision makings from a coaching standpoint. I think that had a lot more to say with it. Cause otherwise it's like, you know, I had this conversation this summer with somebody we were talking about LSU and the changes that happen. And, you know, somebody made the point that, well, you know, yeah, it makes sense that LSU was able to do that because they had a number one overall pick at quarterback and three first round picks at receiver and a first round pick at running back. And I said, yeah, but who thought any of those guys other there's one guy that people thought was a first round caliber talent going into 2819 and it was Jamar Chase. That yeah. was the only guy because he was younger. Nobody looked at Joe Burrow and said, that guy is going to be a record-setting quarterback and he's going to be playing in the Super Bowl in three years. Nobody <laughs> thought that. Joe Burrow didn't think that. You know what I mean? Like, But it required them to start putting guys in position to where their talent could carry the day. Like the 2018 LSU offense with the same exact players they had in 2019 averaged fewer points per game than Notre Dame did in 2020. Fewer yards and fewer yards per play than Notre Dame did in 2020. Think about that. So your your production doesn't always equal your talent level if you're not being put in position to be successful. And as Ryan and I have, have both stated, I think the issue, however, was not talent. It was were they putting the right players on the field at the right spot? That was a bigger question to me. Yes. And and then yep. not being not being coached correctly, I think were bigger issues. So I think yep. Ryan, I think you're obviously right that people are going to be a little surprised. Non-offensive line people are going to be a little mm -hmm. surprised by the talent level that Notre Dame is going to possess. And Joe Walt and Blake Fisher are going to make bigger jumps from because of their experiences this year, especially Joe Walt. And, and Blake Fisher is going to get them from a technical standpoint because he wasn't coached. He was coached pretty well for a high school kid. I think Blake didn't come in here as like some raw kid that knows he was doing, but he wasn't coached like Joe Walt was coached because his sure. dad played in the NFL, right? Yeah. Joe's going to make the big jump because of Matt Bayless. Yes. Right. And then Blake's going to make the big jump because of Harry Heastand and Matt Bayless. And so Rocco, I think, is going to make a big jump. So I, I'm excited to see what this group can do because I actually think this is going to be a this is going to be a really effective offensive line, which has me kind of fired up about, mm -hmm. about a lot of other things. Got a UIW swimmer, Brian and Vince, any new workout warrior rumors this winter, freshmen getting caught up, etc. Honestly, I haven't asked a ton about this just because I, I, I don't care. And I need to do a better job of asking about it because I know that y'all care. And so that's on me because I just, because as a football coach, I've seen the workout warriors when the pads come on, and it's about playing football, like kind of disappear, you know? Uh, so I just, I don't ask about it. I should do a better job because I know y'all care about it. So when I say I don't care, it's not th that you shouldn't care. It's just, I have a different perspective on it. So, but I have had a couple conversations with some people and I'll just share a couple things that I've, I've heard uh, trying to think of some of the different positions. I've heard that uh, the freshman linebackers have really impressed people and Josh Burnham and Nolan Ziegler are the two that have really stood out as far as what they're doing in the weight room that they've really stood out. The other linebacker that I've heard is having a great off season in the weight room and conditioning stuff is Prince Collie. I've heard he's having a phenomenal off season 
uh, right now. Just, you know, I'm looking at something somebody sent me the other day. Let me just kind of pull this up here real quick. I got from a, a buddy of mine that sent me some results of some different things, but uh, just want to re- refresh my memory here. But yeah, I'm looking at these things and yeah, Prince Kali is just really, really blowing up, really blowing up. Chris Tyree is, is from some of the numbers I've been given is, is really throwing around some weight in the weight room this year. And he's, he's really kind of adding some strength to what he does. So, you know, there, there, there's some guys at those positions. I've heard Jaden Mickey's really impressed people. With, I've heard a lot of the freshmen have really impressed people with their willingness to come in and compete. Like they don't get in the weight room back and down. You know, obviously you're always going to have guys that are homesick or whatever, but like, who cares that that always happens. But I've heard as a group, for the most part, this group really gets after it and really competes uh, and, and is, is really impressing some people. So, that's a that's a good sign, certainly good sign. But Prince Collie is definitely a guy that uh, that I have I have heard a lot of good things about as far as what he's doing, and I've heard Houston Griffith is working like he's never worked before. So that's a I mean, again, will that will that transcend the football field? No idea. But this workout warrior, I think that pretty much describes what I've heard from Houston Griffith quite a bit, quite a bit. So. Um, and then there's a lot of guys that are banged up, you know, and that are kind of coming back from surgery, off-season surgeries and injuries and stuff like that. So that's part of it too. These are always fun questions from Brent Byers. Ryan, I'll let you touch on this one first. Give us your educated guess. I love like uh, these questions are great. Like when we haven't even gotten to spring, we don't even know who's going to be in the starting lineup. We don't know any, but we'll for fun we'll do it anyway. Give us your educated guess on the offensive output this year: points per game, yards per game. And what do you think Buckner's final stat line ends up, both rushing and passing? Okay. Six thousand and seventy-one TDs is an acceptable response. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would all love that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think we talked about this on one show. I, I think I said twenty-eight hundred passing yards to three K passing, somewhere in that ballpark. And I think I think I said twenty-five to twenty-seven touchdown passes and. 600 plus rushing and another eight to 10 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So, so basically 3,435 about is yes. about the 30, baseline of yeah. 3,400 total yards and 35 total touchdowns is about a yeah. good season where you could see yeah. him. I could yeah. See we'll say, yeah. We'll say that we'll say somewhere in that ballpark, maybe 36 hunt, mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. I'd say uh, points per game, Say 38 mm-hmm. points per game, getting closer to that 40 mark, which I know is a number that we um, would definitely like to see Notre Dame get to right. at some point. Yards per game, that one's a little tougher. I'll say I'll say they average a little jump in running last uh, this year. I'll say it's 150 rushing yards a game and – you think they're only going to average 150 rushing yards per game? Is what you're saying, or you're saying that that's what it was I'm, last year? I, I, I'm, I'm saying that was about what it was last year, right? Yeah, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll say if we take a bump there, I'm just trying to go through it in my head. Uh, I'll say it's about 170 on the ground and about 270 in the air. Okay, does that sound about right? Yeah, 170, so, 270. Yep. So 270 as a team would get Notre Dame to about 3,500 passing yards. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at. Buckner being a little above where you, I think 260 is a little bit more of a, a you know, a, 260. A 250 to 260 is more of a reasonable number for passing. Cause the reality is there's going to be some games, Ryan, mm-hmm. where 
they're not going to throw for a ton because they just run over people. Because I think you get to 260 a game, that's a little under 3,400 yards a game. That fits more into Buckner's about 28, 29. And then the second quarterback coming off the bench, you know, and and, and different times is going to throw some passes and some mop-up games and get about 400 yards passing. I think that that's a reasonable number. And then I think 200 rushing yards is the goal. So 260 to 200, maybe 250 to 210, some sort of sliding scale in there to get you to about 460 is, is sort of my minimum objective this year. And for context purposes, purposes 460 would have put Notre Dame number 16 in the nation last year in total offense. And some of the teams ahead of them were Fresno, SMU, Western Michigan, um, Kent State, Coastal Carolina, and Western Kentucky, meaning that's six non-Power 5 teams. That means 460 would have put them amongst the ten, the top 10 Power 5 teams last year. That That's about the number to me that will get you to around 38 to 39 points a game. The thing for me that I care more about, Ryan, and here's where I think we could see a big jump, is I think an even bigger jump for Notre Dame isn't going to actually be in, in – I don't or at least I don't care as much about yards – I want to see a big jump in yards per play. I want to see them get back into the top 10 in yards per play. Because there's a scenario in which your yards don't take a big jump because your defense and your special teams are creating more short fields and or points, right? And so I, I've used this analogy before, Ryan. There was a year when I was coaching at Muhlenberg. I know it's a school you're familiar with. We averaged 44 points per game in the regular season. We only averaged about 350, 360 yards per game. I mean, 350 yards per game should have you like bottom half of the country in, in points. The reason but we had a pretty good yards per play average, but our average starting field position was the 48-yard line. We had five maybe special teams touchdowns that year, right? So when when you only have to go 50 yards to score, your, your yard numbers aren't going to look great, but your points will. I think the best way to evaluate to me truly an offense, if, if I can only pick one number – I'm going with yards per play as opposed to total yards. And, and to me, that's a, a much better number. And the the, the example that I, I, I'll use is, you know, if you look at yards per game this year and you look at like Alabama, for example, Alabama was at 488 yards per game this year. Last year they were at 540, right? That That's a 60-yard – that's a pretty decent gap. The more troubling number for me for Alabama, why I didn't think their offense was as good this year, is Alabama this year averaged 6.5 yards per play. Last year, they were at 7.8. That was the bigger issue because that, what that tells me, Ryan, is that 600, that 60-yard-per-game difference, you had to have some volume in there. And if you look at the number of plays that Alabama ran, they ran a lot more plays, which tells me they were a lot less efficient offensively. I care more about Notre Dame seeing a big jump in yards per play so I want to see them get above six and a half. I want to see them get to like six, seven, six, eight, six, nine. The best that in program history is the seven oh from 2015. I'd like to see close to that. I think that to me is a better gauge of what the points are going to be than total yards because of the the other factors that go into your your yardage total. So last year they were at six one, which is not a good number. That's a that's a very average. Like you're just a solid offense at that point in time. And when you consider how good the offense was at yards per play down the stretch, it puts some context into that 6.1 because 
starting from USC on, they were at 718893. Oh, I'm sorry, that's passing yards. So let me go to total offense because that would have been a completely different story. Uh, down the stretch from North Carolina on, they were at 7771698772 and 62 in the bowl game. Now, the 62 in the bowl game is a really impressive number when you consider the defense they were going against was Oklahoma State which came into that game, I believe, ranked in the top five that that year, last year, in, in yards per play, they ended up at 4.58. That's after giving up 6.2 against Notre Dame. So to me, it the, think about those numbers, Ryan. Their lowest yards per game attempt of 6-2 in the bowl game, but in the final five games of the regular season, their lowest yards per game was 6.9 against Virginia. That puts them in the top 10 nationally last year in, in yards per play. That would have put them around 10th, right? That was their worst game. So that's the number that shows me that the offense is getting better is going to be that number. That's yeah. what I care more about. Efficient and explosive. I hear mm-hmm. you. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's that's what – I mean, that's what I, – I wrote an article about this yesterday. I would encourage you to check it out. It was about the identity that Nernan needs to establish on offense, and I, and I talk about the fact that – you know, you see the teams that that a lot of the teams that are like way high in the top ten in yards are the are the sort of the air raid teams, the spread teams that are about running a million plays, right? Mm-hmm. What I care more about is where how are you yards per play wise, and that's what made last year's Alabama team so good, and that's what made LSU's offense so good in 2019. I mean, LSU's offense in 2019 averaged 7.9 yards per play. I mean, that's a that's an insane number. LSU only ran 1,080 plays that year, which may sound like a lot, but they did that in 15 games. Like, that's not a lot of plays per game. It's really not. Uh, when you consider, like, you know, some some other teams that year that, that were getting to 1,000. I mean, UCF that year had 1,060 in 13 games, right? I mean, to get to that in, in 15 games, that's not a ton of plays. Nah. What that tells me is you're super efficient. And, and they were super efficiency to me is the big thing, but, and also, you know, efficiency, I think efficiency leads to big plays. The for problem sure. that I had with the 2017 offense, for example, the temp, the 2017 offense, Ryan for Notre Dame, mm-hmm. what set a school record. Um, um, I think it's a modern day school record of yeah. yards per rush. They mm-hmm. averaged 6.3 yards per carry. It's pretty good that year. That's in that's like a top three statistic, best in in modern history. So modern history at Notre Dame refers to World War II on. Think mm-hmm. about that. Best rushing attack, like yards per play, but that was a very inefficient offense, like as a whole. Offensively that year, they only averaged six point four yards per play. Like if you're at six point two, if they're at six point two yards, six point two yards per carry this year. They're going to be close to eight in overall yards per play, right? Yeah. So to me, I care more about the uh, the efficiency of it than I do about the. The point was the reason they were at six point two in 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 two thousand seventeen was they had a ton of big plays, mm-hmm. right? Twenty five runs of at least twenty yards that year. They had over ten runs of at least fifty yards that year. They were an efficient inefficient running game because of. Josh Adams wasn't just a, hey, get two. You know, we just need you to get two. Um, Dexter Williams averaged over nine yards a carry that year, right? Uh, 
I want to see the efficiency because I think efficiency will lead to explosiveness, which leads to a ton of points. Explosiveness mm-hmm. without efficiency is going to be exactly what Notre Dame was in 2017, which is there were some numbers in 2017 that were insane. But overall points per game, 34 points a game. That's it. Yeah. Right? And and to me, you, you need both, I mm-hmm. believe. Brent Byers, another question. You guys are going to have a major recruiting event this season, one where everyone can get together before the game and drink a beer or soda if that's not your thing. Uh, we plan on – so, Brent, we're going to probably tailgate before the blue-gold game, and we're going to tailgate before every home game next year. Now, not every tailgate will be about food. What we got from people, feedback from a lot of people was, hey, look, I don't care. Because my thought was, I don't want to tailgate if I'm not like big spread and doing Like I just feel like, they're like hey, we don't care about that. We just want to get together. We want to meet people. We want to kind of hang out with the IB crew if you just provide drinks and whatever. So we'll do that. We'll have some food at some events, but some of them like, you know, if we don't bring a big spread for the Cal or Marshall game, we'll still be there in the parking lot meeting and doing things. So, yeah. Um, and we won't ever provide alcohol at Irish breakdown, but you're, if you have some, you're welcome to bring that. So we're not like anti-alcohol. We're just not going to provide alcohol, which Vince and I have explained in the past why that is, but uh, we'll definitely be doing that this year, Brent. I wanted to answer that. So Ryan, we kicked the show off with um, somebody asked, what does it mean to close? Like when we talk about closing on recruits, what does that mean? So we explained it. So Felix Fournier's response. So I wanted the context for why this. Yeah. Felix says, I thought closing on a recruit meant making weird, almost suggestive dancing videos with him and then putting those on Twitter. Well, it's, I mean, I mean, the one he didn't, the one LSU didn't close on though, that they exactly. did that. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if that's your thing, man, whatever. But if, if you're going to make a fool out of yourself, you should at least make sure you closed on the at least land them out there. Yeah. You're going to grind on a teenage boy. You should at least get him to sign. <laughs> at least. You know yes. what I mean? No. <laughs> so inappropriate. So inappropriate. Yep. Um, Brent Byers also says, what are the three to four intangibles you guys think? I'm going to I want you to touch on this one. Yep. What are the three, four intangibles, top three, four intangibles you guys think have the most impact on the program, recruiting new alumni, player interactions, practice competitiveness, better coaching, team identity, et cetera. That's a great question. Um, I think for Notre Dame specifically, I would say, I mean, the recruiting dynamic we've talked about a ton, right? Like Coach Freeman has already kind of taken an initiative to kind of change some stereotypes when it comes to recruiting at Notre Dame. So I would say recruiting impact for sure. I would say the alumni side of thing is huge, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. like, it's been a long time since Notre Dame has been what most people conceive as Notre Dame, right? Like since 1988, this last championship, and everybody knows that. So bringing back alumni that have experienced that type of success to not only rub off on the team, but also just get, you know, to make sure that the program is coming full circle, I think is paramount. And mm-hmm. then competitiveness. And I know it's just practice competitiveness, competitiveness, Brett, is what you said, but I think it's competitive all, all the way around, whether that is in practice in the weight room, in the classroom, during the games. I think that that is the biggest thing. That I, I want you to be competitive and compete mm-hmm. in everything you do. Be the best version of yourself. So recruiting impact, be, having alumni a part of the program, coming full circle, and then the, the competitiveness as a person would be my three biggest things. I think the last thing to me is important. You have to have an identity as a program. 
And that's what I wrote yesterday. So look, I de- a lot of people think identity is okay. We got to run the football. Uh, we got to be no. That's not identity. That's scheme. Identity to me is not determined by what plays you run. What plays you run is determined by your identity. It's the other way around. I think identity has to be important. I think creating an identity. I never felt like offensively, especially the last 50, 10, 12 years that Notre Dame really ever had much of an idea. It was always like, they were like grab bagging all the time. Right. And then you're trying to run these pro style schemes, but you're not focusing on fundamentals. You're not teaching guys how to run routes and all. It just, there was like, there was no identity there. I think that's going to change under Tommy Reese. I really do. I think we're going to see him. I mean, I don't think you hire Harry. He you don't push to hire here. Harry. He If you just don't, if you only care about scheme, because Harry, Harry, he cares about scheme to the degree that he has to care about scheme because you have to call something right like this technique is leading towards something but he's always been a technique leads to success and scheme success right and i don't think you bring in Dylan mccullough if you're just if you're just care about the scheme like i don't think you bring in chancy stucky if you care about if you wanted just if it was all about scheme i think he would have brought in jamarcus shepherd because he would have brought in a lot of scheme He's looking for guys that can teach kids how to play the game, and that's something that's been missing so dr- dramatically from the offense in recent years. And that's an identity, right? Because the identity is we're going to be we're going to be sound. We're going to be, you know, we're going to focus on. I think they're looking for precision over volume from a from a uh, you know like instead of being like an air raid run ninety plays, it's like we may only run sixty five plays or sixty plays, but we're going to average you know seven plus yards per play because we're going to be a super efficient explosive team that all that that's the the identity is we're we're going to be a, a perfect team right like an air raid team you don't you don't talk about perfection a lot it's like just go hey get up run the next play you got to go it's about volume it's about tempo it's about catching a team off guard a team like an alabama with sark uh, a team like you look at sean mcveigh in the nfl and, and west coast guys it's about I mean, Bill Walsh had the West Coast down to an act, an, an exact science. It was you're you're going to this depth or this foot, and you're breaking it this route, be, and it was like it was like an art form. And I think that is kind of more of what we're going to see from Tommy Reese is we're going to be about precision. We're going to be about the scheme is going to be strong, but what's behind the scene scheme? Is is great technique up front, toughness, physicality, knowing how to run a route, having great spacing, all the things that great coaching requires is that's sort of not dependent upon scheme. So I think an identity is important. I think competitiveness is I mean, that's the thing I loved and respected the most from the USC era. Is you just people like, man, by the time we got to Saturday, that was the easy part. Lou, that's something that we that we would hear from players that played under Lou Holtz. Like Saturday was the easiest part of being a player at Notre Dame. You know, just because I mean, if you could make plays on you know, against Aaron Taylor in practice, then you knew you were going to be able to make plays against whatever offensive line you were going against on Saturday that week. And I think that was that was a lot of times missing from what Notre Dame has done. And I think that's something that we know that Marcus Freeman is is going to bring back. And obviously. Healthy recruiting has got to be a part of that, right? You got to be strong recruiters. And I think the other factor to me is, you know, I I do think that I think that that a strong alumni base can be extremely important to a football program. So I, I think Brent got to a lot of the things that I think are very important parts of being a a, a top 
like you know the, the intangibles that go into the amount of support. And then the other one I would say is you have to have a great off the field pr- program. Your nutrition has to be top notch in today's era. Your strength and conditioning program has to be spe- elite. You know all those type of things. I mean, people forget the guy. I, I, I believe I'm actually going to have to check this out, but I believe the guy still running Alabama's uh, strength and conditioning team is still a guy that they took from. Basically, he kind of got his start under Matt Bayless, David Ballou. Is he still their strength coach at Alabama? Do you know? I Ryan? believe so. Yeah, I don't think there was a change. Yeah, there, I'm looking at it. Director of Sports Performance, David Ballou. I mean, yeah. he was a guy that that got his start in college sports under Matt Bayless. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's partly why I'm so excited about the line, yeah. Brian, is because I think of Harry Heastan had got to work with Matt Bayless once. <laughs> right. That was that was a pretty good that was a pretty good group, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, it's gonna be fun to see what he's gonna be able to do over a period of time with the the with being able to work with Matt Bayless on a on a yearly basis. So I, I love the question, Brent, and I love the thoughts that you had. Is a great question. Yin's Irish. So we have a we have a Pittsburgh native in the show, it would appear, Ryan. Yin's mm-hmm. Irish. The narrative seems to be get Darnell, get Dante, and Carnell comes too. Are they a package deal? If not, why the confidence in that scenario playing out? And why would Vizina not have the same impact on Carnell? Um, yeah, I mean, we covered it, we've covered this in the past. It I mean, quite simply, Carnell is well aware of who Dante Moore is, mm-hmm. and he's a fantastic and and Cornell is not the only wide receiver that it, that it would have an impact on if Dante Moore did land with Notre Dame. Now they have a, obviously a relationship. They have um, they have confidence in one another. They think highly of each other, obviously. So Cornell's in, the impact of getting Cornell Tate would be very much increased if Dante Moore did come on board. So it is not a package deal because we've talked about this, if Dante Moore chose to go to Michigan State or down to Miami, that does not necessarily mean that Carnell Tate is going to go to any of those programs. But in this instance with Notre Dame, it is a big bump potentially in the Carnell Tate recruitment. So it is not a package deal. Um, would Vizina, I, I do think that Christopher Vizina would have an impact on wide receivers as well, though. We, we talked about this during right. the show, but it would not Just be not to the degree. Yes, right. not Just Carnell. Not necessarily Carnell, right? Right, right. So if if you get a caliber of quarterback to the degree of a Christopher Vizina, it would increase wide receiver recruitment, obviously. But the point is that it would not as increase as much potentially as Dante. And in in regards to Carnell Tate, it would not move the needle as much at not nearly as much as Dante Moore would. Agree. Good stuff. Papa Bear, are you in favor of joint college practices? Like Notre Dame and Purdue, for example, sharing the practice field prior to the first game. I've talked yeah. about this recently. Yeah, I have no I, issue with it. If, yeah. they, if they're not playing during the season, I have no issue with yeah. it. No. The only the only problem would be there are certain parts of the country where it'd be hard to find a partner uh, at the Division One level. For Notre Dame, it'd be easy. You got Indiana, you've got Michigan State, you've got Michigan, you've got Purdue, you've got Illinois. Northwestern, there'd be plenty of options. Washington and Washington State don't have as many options. That would have to be a thing where, but th- that would have to be a thing where maybe like, okay, Washington and Eastern Washington, or Washington pays to have Montana come out for a couple days. 
I think, but but that starts getting expensive, right? I mean, your housing, you know, how, how, that, so it, I think it would it would there'd be some financial burdens that would have to overcome. But I think it'd be good for players. I think the 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 only other concern I have is you've got to really make sure that you're properly mentally handling the situation with your team because what we've seen in in uh, the NFL is we tend to see a lot of skirmishes which I don't care as much about as long as they're just pushing and shoving. But in today's era of a cameras on everything, it's like some of the things like I, I, I hear people talk, I don't watch the NBA, Ryan, but I'll see something happen on the court and people are like losing their minds. Like, Oh my God, it's the worst thing. I'm like, I grew up in the eighties watching basketball. This is nothing. I watched Dr. J try to choke Larry bird out and Larry Birdstone blows the Dr. J. Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> I've seen blood get drawn with punches. I, I remember watching Robert Parrish walk up and just, not Bill Lambeer out. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't care about that. Like, we're overreacting. But now that everything's on camp, some of those things that happened, you know, in the NBA back then, they, they weren't televised. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, now we just – and we're so – I don't want to say we've gotten soft. It's just we're so much more – Concerned. Overreacting, I think, as we yeah. turn things that are – like a like it's like this. What Juwan Howard did with the Wisconsin coach was wrong. Sure. It needs to be dealt with. We can all acknowledge. But then it's like, terms of, let's just get rid of handshakes altogether. It's like, what? Like, what, yeah, hold on a second, right? Like, we just overreact to everything now as opposed to, hey, this kid had a heat of the moment. Like, who hasn't been in a fight on the basketball court? Nah. You know I'm what I mean? A, it's just on, this on, a, on a field the, in general, right? Right. Like, <laughs> right. This, it just happens to be in a situation where it's on TV and you know, and we overreact to everything now. It's like everything's a dramatic. No, the, the kid overreacted. He had a- Jawan Howard acted like an idiot. Okay, suspend him, and then and then don't do it again. And then like, but let's kind of can we move on and yeah. not turn this into a? We need to rethink sportsmanship. And no, no, Jawan <laughs> Howard did something. There was like another game where then deal with those coaches. But think about how many I- handshakes happened in college basketball this year. How many times have there been issues? I know, I know. It's it's like ninety nine percent of ninety nine plus percent of handshakes right. have no issues, but the one time right. it happens, it's yeah. we got to turn it into oh, that's the norm. It's just absurd. Right. So what would happen is there'd be like all there'd be like eighty joint practices because some of them would be like FCS teams or whatever, and there'd be like five things get called on camera and we're like oh, can't do this anymore. There's it's dangerous. Like okay, yeah, kids punch another kid's helmet. Yeah, I'm really concerned about that. Like that's definitely something we got to make sure we don't do in America. Like all the things going on in our country, that's the thing we got to worry about, right? <laughs> We're not handling handshakes right. Okay, you know, yeah. but that's the that's that to me would make it difficult to do practically. So I would say, hey, look, there is a media blackout when you're having one on one when you're having to practice with Purdue, Notre Dame. As much as I would love to be there as a member of the media, nope, no. Don't do it. Just, you know, you you both sign NDAs, right? We're not releasing practice film. Like, there's no like we're turning our we're turning our um, you know, our social media cameras off, right? We'll take some still shots just to kind of put play it up and things like that, and you may put some clips out, but like none of the stuff that could get leaked out of like the brawl that happened between the offensive linemen that happens at like that would have happened between the teams themselves if they weren't going against each other would have happened yeah. on their own. Like, hey, it happens in fall camp, right? Right. That that reminds me of um so for everybody that doesn't know, I live right outside of Philadelphia. So I'm I'm listening to Philly Sports Talk radio, right, when I'm driving somewhere or whatever. And there's this one Eagles reporter 
who every single day last year, because I think the Eagles had like four or five joint practices last year, and he reported after every one and was like, oh, Eagles won that day. They're 4-0 and in joint practices. <laughs> I'm like, why is that something we're covering or talking about? Like, yeah. That is the – It's just yeah. – it's yeah. the nature of 24-hour sports and – 24-hour channels. We've got to got to have something to write about and talk about. So let's just take something that nobody really cares about and turn it into something. And then you do that long enough, and then people start being more sensitive to those things, and it yeah drives me uh, drives me a little bit crazy. But it is what it is. But I would love to see joint practices, mm-hmm. like kind of like right in the middle of fall camp, like maybe maybe like the ten days before your first game. You know, ten to thirteen days for your first game. You just have a stretch of like two or three days where you know, make a rule team has to kind of come within a certain vicinity or you have to apply for yeah. a waiver. Like I don't want Oklahoma flying down to Florida state. I mean, let's, let's right. be reasonable. Make, make it, make it like the, the, the pro day thing, right? Like you could travel 50 square miles. There, or that's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. The pro day yeah. thing, you know, yeah. look, you can do an FCS team, right. If you want, I mean, I, I don't, you know, it, it's not so much that you're, you know, I had to face Bama. We're, we're bet. No, it's just more, Hey, we want to get work against somebody else that we're not scheming for and scripting for different color helmets. I just, I think there's value to that. And I don't know if I would do like a scrimmage per se, like a full game Saturday scrimmage, but no. you're going to get plenty of team action, right? I mean, you get yeah. plenty of team action and you're going to learn a lot about yourselves that way. So I think there'd be a lot of, a lot of merit to that. For sure. Ty B with a comment. I think Tyler Buckner is going to be a star. If he goes in the shoe and beats Ohio state with a great performance to Notre Dame push Heisman talk. Now I love this Ty because we've gotten so many Tyler Buckner sucks comments lately <laughs> that I love the fact that we're going the opposite direction and talking about Heisman talk. Uh, I think Tyler Buckner is going to be an excellent player as well. I'm not ready to anoint him as the the second coming. If he beats Ohio <laughs> state, it'll, but it'd be a great start. Uh, yeah. Notre Dame will push the Heisman talk if, especially if it's a quarterback. I mean, For the sure. 33 trucking hats with Josh Adams, and we saw we actually saw Notre Dame start a Heisman push last year for 2020 for Ian Book, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, Notre Dame will do that. Now I don't know if they do it to the degree that other programs do it, honestly, because they just haven't had a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate in a very long time. I didn't really necessarily view Josh Adams as that in 2015 or 17. But I understood the push. I thought it was pretty cool. The 33 yep. trucking thing was pretty cool. But it was. Uh, he, he was never going to put up the numbers needed to be a Heisman, a legitimate Heisman contender. So yeah. we just haven't seen – I mean, the last time Notre Dame had a, I'd say, legitimate Heisman Trophy contender going into a season, it's probably Brady Quinn. Yeah. Like Manti became a Heisman contender once the season kind of got going. But With the seven, come seven interceptions. Right. Yeah, Nobody yeah. came into 2012 being like, hey, I think Manti's going to be the Heisman runner-up. But that's an example of when right. he kind of started getting that Notre Dame, pushed it. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. But I think if yeah. we're going to have a Heisman conversation about the Notre Dame quarterback, it's probably going to be more for 2023. However, we have seen in recent years, sometimes it's good to not be getting the hype. Because when you come into this, like Bryce Young is going to get way more scrutinized this year than he did last year. Way more scrutinized. He could have a better year this year, not finish in the top four in Heisman voting. I mean, as far as just execution of the offense and things like that, uh, it's just the nature of it. I mean, it's just kind of how how we do in media and where when you're just kind of taking over, starting your new story, you're kind of like the new toy, the new shiny toy, you know, that's going to kind of get some hype. Like, 
I would argue that Tim Tebow's Heisman year was probably his worst year. Yeah, <laughs> well, not worse. I mean, it's as, not as, worse, far, but, as far as like yeah. impact on the game, it was definitely the worst Florida team they had during that stretch. Yeah, you know, because his four years they won a title in his first year, a title in his third year, and his fourth year they went twelve and one and blasted Cincinnati in the Sugar Bowl. The yeah. year they went nine and three or whatever is the year that he won the Heisman because he was mm-hmm. the shiny new toy, right? Yeah, uh, and you know, so yeah. I I do think it's, there's some merit to that. And it's become a kind of a regularity with second-year quarterbacks, right? Like thinking back to Jameis Winston and Johnny Manziel and obviously Bryce Young last year. Like there's been kind of a, a string of successful second-year quarterbacks. So obviously, I'm not going to predict Tyler Buckner to make that jump. But to answer the question, yes, Ty, if Tyler Buckner goes into the shoe and has a really nice game and they beat Ohio State, everyone's going to be pushing it early on. There's Absolutely. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you push that on after such a big win like that? Mm-hmm. We have a Brent Byers asked non-football question. You guys, Apple or Samsung guys, and if if it's not Apple, follow up question: What are you even doing with your life? I'm iPhone, <laughs> I, I, iPhone, iPhone eleven over here. So I'm an Apple guy. Yeah, I don't know what iPhone I have. Basically, every time we, every time my wife needs a new phone, I buy her a new phone, or she buys herself a new phone, and I get hers from before. So I don't know what version she just handed to me. She puts everything <laughs> on it and all that, but whatever. Um, yeah, uh, I was, I was, I was, I was an anti-Apple guy for a while. My, my wife always had an iPhone and I had some, I don't know. I forget. It was like a galaxy. If I could have a small little flip phone, I would have a small little flip phone. I'd be Jethro Gibbs from NCIS. I'd have a flip phone into my (laughs) sixties if I could. Right. But my wife won't let me do that. And it just made sense to kind of take her hand me down iPhones, but she's converted me into an Apple guy when it comes to like computers and stuff like that. But for phones, I'm just an Apple guy because she, you know, she gave me hers. I, I, I mean, to me, all I really care about for a phone is if I need to send a text or make a phone call. Like, if I didn't have an internet on my phone, I'd just use my iPad. You know what I mean? I yeah. just, or I'd read a book, or watch TV or something. You know, I, I, be, I, be, I become an Apple snob, man. Like, I, I, I actually, it actually drives me crazy. It's like a pet peeve of mine now where I text somebody that has it, has a, uh, a, like a Samsung or something and it comes up green instead of blue. I'm like, it just bothers me for some reason. I don't know why. It just bothers me. Okay. For no yeah. real reason either. It's yeah. just, it's I, I, I guess it's oh, the okay. difference of the color, the color green versus blue. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what are you doing here, man? Why am you making me look at this green? It's ridiculous. I, I judge as soon as I see it's a green, do- a green box. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> we got a uh, non non Apple user here. Uh-oh. Thou shalt not judge phone colors. <laughs> All right, C nut. Do offensive commits start rolling in when Dante commits? What yes. Do you think? Yes, yeah. if if Dante does commit to Notre Dame, there will be, I think, a little bit of a wave of offensive yeah. recruiting. I I would think so. Yes, we're we. Do, I don't think either of us think that they won't get anyone until Dante commits. <laughs> it's just it'll, like you said, it'll be like a okay, yep, here we go, and it'll be it's, two a, it's a momentum, it's a wave, yeah. it's a momentum boost for sure. It'll be two classes. You'll start seeing it impact twenty twenty four as well. You will, and it'll be two. It'll be two. T- two things will happen. Number one. What Ryan said, you'll see a wave. Number two, there will be some kids that weren't really looking at Notre Dame or heavily at Notre Dame all of a sudden have a different level of interest in Notre Dame. That's how it'll go. So that's what happened when they got Jimmy Clausen. You know, I had somebody somebody asked, like, hey, if big time quarterbacks are supposed to have this impact, why didn't Jimmy Clausen have that impact? And I'm like, do we need to go back and review the offensive recruiting at Notre Dame from the minute Jimmy committed? I mean, they got 200, they got two top 100 running backs in the same class 
as him. They got a top 100 running back in the next year in 2008 in Jonas Gray. They got a top 100 running back again in 2009 in Sierra Wood. Duvall Kamara was a five-star receiver in that class. And another guy that signed in that class, hey, do you remember this guy, Ryan? He uh, He's from Tennessee, played some running back and some receiver, uh, won the Bolitnikoff Award, I think, in their name. Guy, oh, what's his name? Oh, man. Uh, Golden Tate. That's right. That's who it was. Uh, he Free was in wire. that class. Uh, the next year they signed this uh, Michael Floyd guy. Do you remember him? All-time leading receiver and catches yards and touchdowns in their name. Uh, got Kyle Rudolph. The next year, too, he's a five-star receiver. He's a pretty good player. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember him or not. Um, no. Yeah, those guys came because they got Jimmy Clausen. Okay, I mean, it's just yep. I mean that's that's just the reality of it. So, yeah, there was a wave, and I think we'll see a similar wave now. Hopefully, those guys get the some of those guys get developed better than they did. But if sure. Dante Moore equals uh, Robert Hughes and Jonas Gray and Sierra Wood types, and especially Golden Tate and Michael Floyd and Kyle Rudolph types. Yeah, I'll take that. Sign me up, right? I mean, two best receivers Notre Dame's had in the last 20 years. Yeah, I'll take that because of Jimmy Clausen. So yeah. uh, I just think maybe because some people just don't like Jimmy that they don't want to give him credit for any of that stuff. Like uh, Jimmy had a big role in that, right? And mm-hmm. Jimmy wasn't an active recruiter. It was just yeah. – he was just Jimmy Clausen. His presence. Right? That's all yeah. it is. Yeah, I want to catch passes from Jimmy Clausen, you know? Yep. So uh, Dante will have his, in my opinion, will have a similar impact. And it's also, it, Charlie was a really good recruiter. Charlie could close sure. on offensive players. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be a thing too, is now all of a sudden Tommy Reese walks into the room. This is the thing that's, that's impressed me about Tommy Reese the last couple of years. Tommy Reese has had no resume to speak of when he's gone into rooms of high school recruits and parents in the last couple of years. He does now. I've coached in a playoff game. I've coached in the, in the, in the Fiesta Bowl. I've now put – he was probably going to have two quarterbacks get drafted now. I think Jack Cohn will end up getting drafted. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Ryan. I think he'll get drafted. Slam, sla, slam dunk to get drafted. I would be more surprised yeah. if he didn't get drafted at this point. Right. So Notre Dame went, ten what, 10 years where it had one quarterback drafted, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. Jimmy was in the 2010 draft. But after that, you had Deshaun Kaiser, and I think that is it until Ian Book in the 2021 yeah. draft. So it's over 10 years. Yeah. Now you're going to mm-hmm. have them in back-to-back classes. Uh, you know, And then you get Dante Moore and put that feather in your cap. I'm I'm really excited to see what Tommy Reese can do when he's got some of that stuff now behind him from you know for his resume. And then then what can he can can he do going into the living rooms of some of these top players? That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Blaine Tiller, with all the chaos last year at Clemson, are you expecting a better team this year or another seven to nine win meh kind of squad? But just a reminder, they went they went 10 games last year. They went 10 and three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine and three in the regular season, beat Iowa State the bowl game. So they weren't exactly garbage last year. They started off garbage, but they rallied pretty well, which that's what the ACC can – that's what playing the ACC can do. You, you can yeah. get healthy, you know, in stretches. Uh, thoughts on that, Ryan? Because obviously chaos – I wouldn't call it chaos as much. It's just – just tur- there was bound to be that. It was going to happen. Yeah. And and well, go ahead. Oh no, I was I was just going to start with a little bit of the analysis, right? Like it's obviously they have a new offensive coach, Coach Elliott out. Um, I think that that's going to. I mean, it's it just change sometimes can be a big plus, right? Yeah. And I can't imagine DJ Uyunglele being as bad as he was last year. Like it was just bad, right? Like he was bad. The offensive line was bad. We've seen it at its worst. Can it be worse than that? I I doubt it. And then they have some young skill position players that are coming back like Shipley and Pace at running back. And they have Collins at receiver who had some moments. They have Engada, uh, the other receiver, Joseph. I think it's Engada's how you pronounce it, or Nada. I don't, I don't know. But you have skill position players that are coming back that have experience despite having, you know, some up and down play. And then you have a lot. I mean, the defense for clubs, it should be extremely good. Again, the cornerback yeah. position. You got to find a couple guys in the back end, but right. you have Miles Murphy and Brian Bercy up front. You got that Trenton Simpson kid, the linebacker, who is a freak. That kid, I'm excited about already from an NFL draft perspective. Like, he is an absolute stud. So, the defense should be very good as it typically is at Clemson. The offensive line should be better because I can't imagine it getting worse. The quarterback should be better because I can't imagine it getting worse. And you have some young receivers and running backs that showed a lot of promise this year. Shipley, I think, is going to take a nice step forward. Collins at receiver. Pace is a good running back. I think that they're, you're going to see growth in those areas, and I can't imagine it getting worse on the offensive line and quarterback. So I think they'll be a lot better. I think a big problem, their offensive line, was just it. they needed to change. I, I'm gonna say something else, and I, I don't. I've said this before, Ryan. You can you can you can comment on it. Yeah. I have never thought Tony Elliott by himself was a great coordinator. I have never thought no. much of Jeff Scott as a head coach by himself. Mm-hmm. I think they were way better together than they were individually. I think Clemson was successful in 18, 19, and to a degree in 20 because they had better players than anyone they faced any given Saturday with one exception. And that was the 2019 title game. And then um, two exceptions. And then the, the, the playoff game last year against uh, Ohio state. But even then, I think you could argue they had better top players. I think Ohio state had a little bit more depth. Clemson had some injuries. There was, you know, some things going on there, but I think the, I think the other thing too, is I felt like Tony Elliott was kind of stuck, not knowing how to change his offense. Like they recruited one type of player. Big, strapping, not a great running quarterback. Big, tall, six foot three, six foot. He started recruiting like Brian Kelly, bunch of hmm. tall receivers, right? But yeah. then he kept trying to run the same offense they had run before, when they had some great slot guys and some guys out of the backfield. And it's like, you know, T. Higgins and Justin. Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank here on um, Justin, Justin Ross. Ross. Yeah, uh, the, he, they weren't great players just because they were tall. They had mm-hmm. skill sets that were effective for guys of any height, right? And and you didn't have that kind of guy. Justin, or, um, the the Joseph Ngata kid is a 
bigger kind of a Miles Boykinish type of guy. He's not Justin Ross. He's not T. Higgins. But they sure. were trying to use him like they did Justin Ross and T. Higgins. Justin Ross wasn't Justin Ross last year. I mean, he's still kind of coming back and all that. And they're like, I'm, they're like using him in the slot at times, and it's just like, what are you doing? He and then he's trying to have, he's trying to have DJ run like an offense that he ran with Deshaun Watson, quarterback power, and, and it's <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like yeah. they needed a change. What yep. I what makes it hard for me to really have a, an opinion on Clemson is I don't know what Brandon Streeter's going to run. Is he just going to keep running what they've done? Is he going to try to get a little bit more pro stylish? with what they do and kind of go away from the, like they were a pure college spread team for the most part, in my opinion, like formationally, the run action, the RPOs, like they were a pretty much a pure spread team, college spread team. Do they still do that? And do they kind of recruit different types of players? Do they kind of uh, maybe adapt a little bit to DJ skill set, or do they say, Hey, look, if DJ can't get the job, then that's fine. We'll just bring in Cade Klubnik because he can run that kind of offense that we want to run. That's going to be the question that I don't know. And without knowing that, it's going to be hard for me to really say definitively that this is what Clemson will or won't do. I mean, I don't know how the new coaches are. I don't know enough about those new coaches, but I was – they they made some wise decisions when it came to it was time to move on some, from, from some people. You know, it, it was it was very – it was definitely time to move on from Coach Caldwell, who's – done some really good things at Clemson but there comes a point in time where it's like okay the game has passed you by to a degree uh and the offensive line was just uh, th- th- it was terrible in 2020 and that's why last year I predicted that Clemson was not going to be as good as, as they had been because I mean they didn't have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne to just completely rescue that terrible offensive line so uh, I think they're going to be better than they were last year I just can't tell you how much more because I know so little about the coaches that are on the staff. The thing that helps them, Ryan, is they're not going to play a good team until the fourth game of the year. Yep. I mean, they they start off with Georgia Tech. They play Furman. Then they play Louisiana Tech. Then they have a stretch of, you know, should be four tough games, tough-ish games, Wake Forest, NC State, Boston College, and Florida State. The, the Florida State-BC games are away. Those will be challenges, but that's like deeper into the year. And then, of course, two weeks now they play at Notre Dame, and then they play Miami at home and in South Carolina. So that they don't have they don't have the typical early season battle that they've had in the past where they've played Georgia or A&M or a team like that, Auburn to start. Mm-hmm. They're going to have some warm-up games, essentially. I mean, Georgia Tech's an okay team, but let's be honest. Georgia Tech's not going to beat Clemson. No. And then, you know, Furman and Louisiana Tech. So they're at least going to have some warm-up games to get healthy, whereas last year I kind of felt like the schedule was not set up for them well because they last year was a year that they needed, I felt, a bit of a warm-up to kind of get yeah. going instead of playing Georgia, Georgia. and NC State <laughs> and BC yeah. three of the first five games, right? Um, they They didn't really recover well from that Georgia game offensively like they were shell shocked for a while defensively they played great i mean defense played great i mean defense played well enough for them to win the the acc last year in my opinion Mm -hmm. um with one exception there's one game that was an exception um you know and and but even then they they won they won that game right which is the wake Forest. i didn't think they played great against wake forest uh but they still made enough plays to win that game convincingly you know but they didn't lose the pit because of the defense 
Right. They didn't lose to NC State because of the defense, in my opinion. Well, they didn't play great against NC State, but they didn't lose that game because they gave up 20-some points, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no way Clemson loses a game scoring in the 20s, giving up points in the 20s with Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. Absolutely so not. That's, and, and we've seen that. Like the year that – the year that it's funny because they were a number one seed in 2017, but that was not a great Clemson team. They had a great defense, but that wasn't – a we have seen that offense takes a big step back when they don't have Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence quarterback. Big step back because they were not a good offense when they had um, Kelly Bryant at quarterback. No, they were not. Yeah, and he talks about DJ a little bit, kind of the point there. Um, Brent Byers, hard to say there isn't receiving talent with Michael Mayer, Low Styles, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, plus guys like Braden Lindsey and Avery Davis. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. All right, John Lacey, I know this isn't the normal question, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on special teams, especially the kicker. Dora was not reliable, in my opinion. Really needed those three points in the bowl game. Yeah, John, I don't disagree with you. I think Jay Jay Bramlett was way more inconsistent last year than he was the year before. I thought that was a part of the special teams that was most disappointing to me was Jay Bramlett would have stretches where he would just have some great boots. And then, like, the the bowl game, I thought he had three, like, three out of four punts in a row – like in a sequence of three out of four punts were just short and gave Oklahoma, like when Oklahoma State was making that comeback, they had at least two short fields because of yeah. bad punts during that stretch. And I thought the kicking operation overall was just not good last year and, uh, you know, at all. But I can't really tell you what it's going to look like because I've never seen Blake Groupie kick in a game. I've seen, <laughs> I've gone back and looked at highlights. I've never, I don't know what, what Josh Bryan's going to be able to do. I don't, I don't, I don't know what John Sott's going to be able to do as a, you know, as a, as a potential punter, right? Never seen, you know, Bryce McPherson is going to be a freshman. So I really don't have a comment for you on the kicking operation. I think that the return game and the coverage units are going to be better this year. But I, I I don't have an opinion, Ryan. I don't know if you, I just kind of saw your face and I started naming kickers and you're like, yeah, I don't. don't Well, no, no. I mean, I, obviously I know the names, Joshua Bryan and Blake. No, I mean, like, I don't have any idea what they're going to do. I didn't know that you didn't know who they were. It's. It's like a little uneasy, you know what I mean? Like we were, you're, mm-hmm. you were talking a little bit earlier about like cornerback is a, a concern, obviously going into the, the mm-hmm. season. I could argue that's the kicking operation, kicking and punting could be the biggest wild card and maybe uneasy spot on the team because you have no idea what to expect. I've heard Blake Ruby's a really accurate kicker, but I've also heard that he doesn't have the greatest range in the world. Joshua Bryan obviously hasn't been in the forefront as a, as a collegiate kicker. Bryce McPherson's a, a – a, a freshman, like you said, Sot's a, a you know a guy that's coming from you know a, a, obviously an FCS team, and it's who knows. I have no idea mm-hmm. because it, yeah. it, and it's a it's a little uneasy to be honest because you always obviously preach that it's a third of the game and you don't have much proven commodity right now on that side. So it's it's mm-hmm. it is a little unsettling to be honest. Like you mm-hmm. can't just sit there and say like you're very confident in what the kicking and punting units are going to look like. You have no idea right now. Yeah, and. I that's a position I never feel good about uncertainty kickers and yeah. punters, just because it's such a mental game as much as anything it really is so yeah that makes me makes me a little bit nervous John Long do you think Tom Reese will open up the bag of tricks for Avery Davis this season still want to see Avery solid behind a solid O-line playing wildcat IB rocks thank you for that last part John I'm still waiting on the on the Avery Davis in the back <laughs> in the in, you know running the, the option in the backfield I'm still waiting on that I think I'm a pass that note along to talk to Tommy Reese because 
you know, he's definitely going to listen to me uh, when I say what plays you should run. Right. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to see that. Uh, but Avery's got to get back healthy first. And I think right now it's just what, what, when, when you have the kind of knee injury he had, cause I believe he tore multiple ligaments. You just, you never know how he's going to come back. Some guys come back faster, but they lose elusiveness. Is yeah. that going to be the case for Avery? We don't know, but if he comes back and he's the same athlete he was before. Yeah. I, I, there'd be some value to that. But I I think, however, that in 2022, it doesn't make as much sense to do that as it did in 2021. Because in 2021, he brought – it would have brought something that you didn't it's have. Different. I would yeah. argue that the quarterback they have now is a better runner than Avery would be. Sure. You know? Um, so I don't know if now it makes sense to have Avery as the wildcat when you could just – have Tyler Buckner do that, and he weighs 15 extra pounds. You know right. what I mean? And he's used to but, doing but def- those things. De- definitely some layers of the offense should yeah. be – there should be something in the playbook for, right. for a good time, like, right? Like reverse, that's a reverse pass. Like or throw. Right. Exactly. The wildcat is the part I'm referring to. I just don't think there's a need yeah. for the wildcat now. But yes, yeah. a, a a throwback screen, you know, pass where he throws or, or the get, reverse. Get Avery in the backfield with Tyler Buckner and yeah. do something. Yeah, yeah, run, run a sweep. Hand it yeah. off to him. He pulls up and throws it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those would be some fun things to do. Yes, that would be that. You know, have 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 Avery in the backfield. Ty, Chris Tyree in the slot. Right. Have Chris Tyree go in motion one way. Run a sweep to him on the. I mean, you could do all types of, and that's the kind of stuff I want to see. I want to see some fun stuff like that. That you do a couple little wrinkles a game. I think kids like that stuff. I think that makes sure. practice like fun. Like, what wrinkle are we going to do this week? Oh, we're putting so and so at you know, at, at running, you know, whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, I put Avery as the wildcat, have Tyler lined up out wide, throw a backwards pass to Tyler, then let Tyler, you know I mean, <laughs> just to have some fun with it. Right. Just do a thing or two like that again, just a little wrinkle here too. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, here's a really good question. Demetrius Rex. Are you taking Jack Cohn in the latter half of 2021 over 2018 Ian book into the 2018 playoff game with Clemson? might need to reread to understand the question. No, I get that. What I think you're saying is, am I taking the 2018 regular season version of Ian Book or am I taking the late season 2021 version of Jack Cohn into the 2018 playoff game? I'm still going with the 2018 version of Ian Book against that Clemson team. Now, we didn't get that version of Ian Book in the playoff game. That was the problem. The reason I would take it, take Ian Book it's because that Clemson D-line was nasty. And I want the more mobile quarterback back there. That's if fair. Ian Book would have been the guy he was in the regular season. I'll say this, however. I'm more confident that I'd get the late season version of Jack Cohn in the playoff game than I would have got the regular season version of Ian Book in the playoff game. Because we never saw Ian Book do that in big games for the most part. Especially when it was away from home. So I'd be more confident that I would get the best version of Jack Cohn in that game than Ian Book. But if I knew what I was going to get and I was going to get the regular season version of Ian Book, that's a pretty good – that was a – Ian Book went through about a five-game stretch in 2018, which you could argue was the best stretch of five games, uh, best stretch of passing – quarterback passing that we've seen from another Notre Dame quarterback since Jimmy Clausen in 2009 in my opinion, that from like the first start against Wake Forest, the second half of that game into Stanford, into 
Navy. I mean, just that stretch where he was completing 70 plus percent of his passes every game, averaging like over nine yards an attempt. Uh, that was, man, that was about as good as you're going to get. I mean, that was really, really good. Really, yeah. really good. What are your thoughts? And, Ryan? And I, I, well, I agree. To, I agree on your preference as far, as far as, you know, against that defensive line, I think you, you want somebody that is able to maneuver, right? So if you're talking about the version, the best version of Ian Buck, which we saw at stages, obviously in 2018, I would take that as well, just because I think that a non-mobile quarterback against that type of defensive line could be some trouble. So. Yeah. Here and I want to. There was a question kind of about that 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 kind of plays into this question, and I, I want to find that it was about Jack Cohn, and because we were talking earlier about lacrosse and things like that, and I want to find that question because it was a really good question about Jack Cohn, and we're gonna have to wrap up here very, pretty soon. We're not gonna be able to get to all the questions, or we're gonna do a four-hour show today, and neither of us are able to do that. But the question was, where is that question? It was about Jack Cohn and playing lacrosse because Jack Cohn was initially uh, – commi- oh, here we go. Timeout Tom says, I couldn't understand why Jack Cohn was not quicker considering he was uh, a, a New York State player of the year uh, and from Long Island, which is one of the top areas for lacrosse. He was also committed to Notre Dame as a lacrosse player. The thing that I would say to you is I don't think Jack Cohn lacks the athleticism. I think, number one, Jack got bigger in college to play quarterback. I, I don't think – I think, you know, got a little bit more muscular and that kind of thing. I think the foot injury was a part of it, but he wasn't the most escapable guy in, at Wisconsin. I mean, he had a lot of – you go back and look at that 20, he had about four or five plays. He got hit from behind. I think Jack's problem is he did not he did not manipulate from a footwork standpoint the pocket. I don't think it was a lack of athleticism. I've seen way less athletes be far better in the pocket than Jack Cohn was. I don't think Jack was comfortable, and I think part of it, Ryan, was – he was mm-hmm. going through a transition year. He was yeah. an, mostly an under center. Like that's a different type of pocket manipulation than just go to predominantly a shotgun offense. Sure. I think that was the problem. And I also think Jack got happy feet a little bit last year because he just mm-hmm. started anticipating pressure and just didn't set his feet as much. So I think it was more about Jack's footwork. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jack's going to have like these embarrassing bad times at the combine. I think he'll actually have decent testing numbers at the combine. Yeah, I think I'll be I think they'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. I think it was I a footwork problem. I think it was more of a footwork problem than it was a, an athleticism problem. Yeah, cuz 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 to your point, right? Like it's athleticism and pocket maneuverability are not really I mean like they can be interrelated, but they're not always interrelated. One of maybe the best quarterback in the, this year's class um as far as pocket maneuverability is Carson Strong from Nevada and he is not a great athlete, but he understands how to maneuver in the pocket, how to slide, yeah. how, where, you know, just the Spatial awareness is a big key, obviously. Who would you say are the two best NFL quarterbacks of the last 20 years? Have, like, far, looking at their entire careers, two best quarterbacks yeah. the last 20 years. I would argue it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, Peyton Tom Manning. Brady was the first one. He right. was and, tremendous. Yeah, and Peyton Manning, right? Peyton Manning, yeah. Two pretty bad athletes when it comes to – from an NFL standard, right? Yeah. <laughs> two guys that you're not going to, you know, have on your, your team when you're saying we're going we're gonna to get into like an offseason – you know, sprint contests and athleticism contests. That's not your first picks, right? Both yeah. great in the pocket. Both great. At, both great at manipulating the pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Using their feet to buy time, find openings, get the ball out. So, as you said, you it can if you have great athleticism, you can then be great in the pocket. But being a great athlete doesn't mean you're going to be great in the pocket, and being a bad athlete doesn't mean you're going to be bad in the pocket. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, like Jimmy Clausen's problem was he just didn't have maneuverability. Like mm-hmm. he was stiff in the pocket. It's not that he wasn't a bad. I, mean, I wouldn't say Jimmy's any worse of an athlete than Tom Brady was necessarily. Tom um, Brady ran like a five, two had a sub 30 inch for awful, like, I mean, awful like, athlete. Yeah. yeah. But new the footwork, the presence in the pocket was the thing. So uh, I think that really speaks to it. Timeout, Tom. Here's my prediction for next season's line starting linebackers. Mike will be Jordan Patejo, Will, Prince Colley, Rover, Maris Luafau. Uh I don't see I, I'd be shocked if I, I, yeah, I, was, gonna, I was gonna say I, I think the rover days for Maris are, are well behind him. Agree. So yeah. If I like now, the three I like the three players in some type of combination, but you know I just don't trust Jordan Patoho. I'm sorry. I don't I mean if, 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 I don't trust him to be my Mike linebacker to make line calls. Like I don't trust him to show up. I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. I just don't trust him. He's got a lot to he's got to prove a lot to me before I'm ready to trust Jordan Patel, especially as the mic. And so I just, I couldn't go there. And I just, I just, I'm not ready to, J.D. Bertrand had a hundred plus tackles and seven, eight tackles for loss on an 11 and two team. And all we're focusing on is the couple bad games he had and not focusing on the fact he played pretty good football at other times. And that was his first year as a starter. He wasn't even a rotation guy in 2020. He did pretty well for a first-year starter, and I think he's going to get better. So I think we are all dismissing J.D. Bertrand a little bit too easily, in my opinion. Uh, I think J.D. is going to have a chance to do some things for Notre Dame this year. Now, could he get beat out and not start? Yeah, because there's some good players there. I mean, Bo Bauer could beat him out. If Jordan Patejo grew up a ton, I'm not discounting that Jordan athletically wouldn't be the right guy for that job. There's just a lot more than athleticism that goes to being a Mike linebacker, a lot more. Yeah, and and to your point, I, I do think Maris's days at, at Will are done. I think if anything, we'll see him and Prince Kali playing together. However, if Prince is just so good that you can't take him off the field, I could see a scenario in which Maris at Rover makes more sense than Prince Kali at Rover, based on his body type. You know, so okay. overall, I agree with your point. But I'm saying my point is if. You have to get those him and if you have to get Maris and Prince on the field, they're just clearly your two best linebackers. You can't keep rotating them, even though because I would see they're both will as their both best points. I'd say either one, one of them moves to Mike, that'd be Prince, or B, one of them moves to Rover, and I think that would probably be Maris. That would, be, that would be a lot of that, a lot of athleticism on the second level. If that a was lot the of scenario, length. though, <laughs> a lot of length. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. John Long, after listening to your other pods, I have to assume 21 personnel is a real option this season. Any fun ideas for play types with two back sets? Oh, John, dude, I could talk (laughs) all day about different 21 personnel plays. But honestly, we saw some of them this year. I mean, you know, not not 21 personnel plays, but we saw backs being used in ways that would be good for that. You know, I, I love I love when you have two backs, like 21 personnel with both of them in the backfield. I love action one way screens the next. I love having one guy pass pro and another guy running, you know, arrows, swings, you know, things like that. Uh, if you have one of them that can line up out wide, I love the wheel routes. We saw some of those this year. And then, of course, just go get open when Tyler Buckner runs around, which we saw from, you know, Tyler Buckner, Chris Tyree, and that was at the Purdue Toledo game, right? When Tyler's scrambling around, defense comes up and he just knocks that thing right over top, hits Chris Tyree, 55 year touchdown, right? Uh, when teams blitz, Instead of always using your backs, this is what I thought was one of the best calls Tom Reese has made at Notre Dame was the check that they had 
it wasn't a call because he taught them to, to Jack Cohn made the call, but it's because he was prepared and taught by Tommy Reese when you see this make the call. So it's still to me a call from Tommy Reese. It just he didn't necessarily call it from the booth at that time, which makes it even more impressive to me. But it was Oklahoma State showing blitz. It's a very heavy blitz look for them. So instead of having Chris Tyree step up and pick up the blitz, let's just release him and hit him over top. He catches it a couple yards downfield, 52 yard touchdown. Right. Like to me, stuff like that, I love too. I, I hate when every time you see pressure, you just ma- automatically max pro or, you know, tag your back to stay in. Like, you know, make that team pay for bringing a blitz. Right. Like get Chris Tyree the ball in space, get Logan Diggs. You can't do it every time. But if that's a healthy enough, you know, response from you to a blitz, you know, they're going to stop blitzing you. Right. I mean, you're going to think twice about that next time. I don't know how many more times we saw Oklahoma State call that blitz again after after Chris Tyree went 52 yards. So, man, but we could do a whole show on that, John, and we're not going to do that because we're already way, way, way deep into this. Brent Byer says, I like Colsey to I like Colsey to be a dude. Lindsey should be closer to his potential with competent coaching. Agree. I think the impact the new receivers coach will make will be monumental. We'll find out September 3rd. I agree with you, Brent. I agree with you. David Solomon responded, I don't know, Colsey didn't get the playing time and opportunity styles did, but what I what I did see out of Colsey didn't get the sense he's going to be a dude. I want and hope to be wrong. I think you're going to be wrong, David. I think far too often we look at how a guy plays when he's young and assume that's who he is. I think, number one, you have to remember, Dion is a year younger than most kids in his grade. So he's a very young player. He did not get a ton of coaching in high school and then got none at Notre Dame. And so I just don't think Dion was real confident in what he was doing. And the the situation is, is that I look, I'm just telling you, and believe me or not, younger players just weren't prepared by Dell Alexander. Dion got thrust onto the field because of injuries that happened in games, right? I mean, that's just the reality. And I don't think he was prepared to be effective, but the God-given tools are there. It's just he was not as advanced as Lorenzo was in regards to how to play the game in my opinion. And I think that was a big factor, but I, I think Deion Cole is going to be fine. And I've heard from plenty of sources around. I don't know if you've been told this by anybody, but there were times in practice last year where the defense was just like, I can't check 16. We can't guard that guy, you know, just cause it was, it would be like in times when it's like, it's not about reacting to the coverage and it's just, okay, it's one-on-ones. It's you're running a go route. And it's like, I know what I'm doing. And he would just, right. I mean, you just couldn't cover him. You know, just, even if you covered him, you couldn't cover him. You know what I mean? Because he's so it's long. Good to hear. It's just throw the back shoulder to him. So yeah. I think the talent's there. It's just about can he consistently do it and execute? That'll be a different question. But I think he's another guy that should benefit from uh, having a guy like Chancey Stuckey. And one of the concerns I would have had about Chancey Stuckey's inexperience would have been since he is a 5'10 receiver, how you teach a 5'10 receiver to run routes is going to be different than how you teach a 6'4". Sure. But Ryan, I think you would agree that question got answered last year by the improvement we saw from Tyquan Thornton, who's like what, six two and a half, six three? Six three, and yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. And but yep. the thing is, right, he's not just six three, he's long limbed. Yes. Which is the bigger concern than six two or six four. It's long limbed because those guys tend to be longer striders. How you teach him to break down on the top end and how you, you know, how you teach him to run routes is going to be different than a five ten guy. So that mm-hmm. concern for me with a guy with I don't care if the receiver's coach has been coaching for a while. I don't care if he's 5'10 or 6'5. But since Chancey Stuckey is such a young coach, you know, he's going to be leaning on what he did as a player, how he was taught. Sure. It would have been a concern if I didn't see, I mean, 
Tyquan Thornton was a way different player last year than he was the year before. And I think Chancey Stuckey has to get some credit for that, in my opinion. Yeah, very different. Jay Montalbano, Brian, if this is, I'm going to ask you this, Ryan. Mm-hmm. If Tyler Buckner and Dante Moore were in the same recruiting class, who would you want? Ah, uh, man. So, I mean, the answer would be Dante. It's an imperfect comparison, though, because, again, like I would have loved to see how high Tyler Buckner could have climbed the recruiting rankings if he did not miss his senior year, right? I feel like that year of development did hurt him in some ways, obviously, in a lot of ways, not some ways, a lot of ways. I would take Dante in this vacuum comparison, but that's just – an. I still think it's a little bit of an imperfect comparison to them. I'd have to ask you, Jay, what, what offense am I running? I mean, that, that's the thing. Am I running an offense that requires more of a running quarterback? Then I'm taking Tyler Buckner. Am I running an offense that's going to look like what Sark ran in 2020 at Alabama? Then I'm taking Dante Moore. So I think that's part of it too. But I'll say this, like, listen, I think Tyler Buckner as a junior in high school was further along as a playmaker than Dante Moore was. I mean, he was a special, special player. Dante gets the edge in regards to just his ability. He's just, you talk about sitting in the pocket and being able to read and all that. Dante's further along. And I think Dante has a stronger arm than Tyler had as well. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but I thought he had a stronger arm, but it just, again, it depends on what, what offense are we playing in? You know, if, if I'm having to make that choice, if if I'm playing in an offense with read zones and quarterback runs and you need that as part of your offense, I'll put it like this. If I'm running Clemson's offense, I'm taking Tyler Buckner. If I'm running Steve Sarkeesian's offense, I'm taking Dante Moore. I mean, that 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 has to be factored in to this equation. Uh, if I'm running Mike Leach's offense, I'm taking Dante Moore. If I'm running Phil Longo's offense at North Carolina, I'm probably taking Don- Tyler Buckner. So that's the other part of it, too, is not all offenses are equal. And yeah. I think Dante run- does things better than, than Tyler, and Tyler does things better than Dante, which is going to dictate who I'm taking. For sure. what I think Tommy Reese wants to do offensively, I'm just going to be honest. I think Dante's probably an even better fit because I think Ty, I think Tommy would prefer to have a quarterback and just sit back and pick you apart. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's what he would prefer. You know, he if Tommy had to pick like okay, if you could pick an offense and say ideally that's what I want it to look like, I think it's going to look like what more of what Alabama was in 2020 compared to what you know what what other people do. That's just kind of what I think. I don't. I don't know if it's you fair. agree or disagree with that, but that's that's kind of how I feel yeah. about the. Yeah. It's very fair. It's very fair. It's a it good matters. question. Yep. I wanted to pull that up because, like, that's like that's kind of like let's put you on a spot kind of question. Like, that's a that's an interesting one. I still, to your point though, I would have still loved to have seen what Tyler Bunker would have been as a senior. Yep. Thad Farley, what's the worst Power Five college football stadium that you've been to? Mine is Northwestern. I can't disagree with you on that one, Thad. And their fans mm-hmm. are terrible. Like they were so nasty and disrespectful. This is the 2018 game. Um, I, I would say I'm trying to think of of any others that have been bad. I, I really can't think of a lot of others that I haven't liked. Some of them are smaller, like Wake Forest has a really small stadium, but it's really nice. Oh, I don't like BC Stadium. I don't know if you've ever been to that one. I don't I'm like not. their stadium very much. No, uh, it's kind of, eh, but uh, a lot of stadiums, like the smaller stadiums, sometimes are a little like, wait, I love Wake Forest Stadium. Like it's a yeah. really cool little little place to watch. It's not it's not a bad seat in the house because it's so small. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd I'd have to go to Northwestern. It's dumpy. The field yeah. stinks. The fans are terrible. 
that's a pretty bad place to watch a game. Mm-hmm. Bevan O'Neill, how much uh, much has been said about Buckner's lack of experience now that he's played yesterday last year and had f- extra 15 bowl practices? Is that excuse gone this season? Um I mean, it's it's gone to a certain extent. Like, obviously, right. you're gonna you're gonna you're going to expect more out of him than if it was just a true freshman. But I mean, he still hasn't started a football game, so there's still going to be some acclimatization, obviously. But to your points, it's not like he's a true freshman walking in there mm-hmm. and has never played a snap of college football. So right. you should expect more than that traditional year one freshman, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on, to Ryan's point, it depends on what you mean by excuse being gone. Is Tyler Buckner still going to make some young guy mistakes this year? Yeah. Hey, guess what? The Heisman Trophy winner made a really big young guy mistake in the national title game. That throw he made at the end of the game that got picked off and ran back, I don't know who, I still don't know who he's throwing to. I have no clue who he's throwing to. Young guy mistake. Mac Jones doesn't make that mistake because he was a senior. Bryce Young won't make that mistake in 2022, right? So, He's still going to make some young guy mistakes, but you know you're not going to justify. You're not going to use ex- his youth as an excuse if he goes out there and throws, you know, seven picks in the first three games. Right? That's just bad decision making. That's not. A, that's not. A, that's not a lack of experience. But I also don't think we should expect him to go out and look like Peyton Manning. You know, the the first however many games of the year either. So I think that's. I think that's kind of part of it too. Is is it's just about what what are your expectations for him? In this year, I think he could be an impact playmaker that's going to make some big time plays and he can lead the offense. But I also don't think he's a guy that I'm necessarily going to kind of look at and say, hey, this is, you know, this is, yeah, you live with this and this and this because he's young. I'm not, I'm not going to accept that as much this year. And Ryan will be about right, about right back, by the way. David Freeman says Notre Dame sells its four for 40 advantage. What are some of the best, most interesting, most surprising careers? that Notre Dame players have gone into after football. I appreciate the super chat there, David. I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know a lot about what, what Notre Dame guys do when they leave. Uh, so I couldn't really tell you just some of the ones that I, that I know of that I thought were interesting. Um, it Corey minor ran a bunch of dominoes. Like he, he was actually in a dominoes commercial a few years ago. You remember Corey minor that played defensive end at Notre Dame he was in a Domino's commercial a few years ago because he's an owner of some Domino's. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Todd Light owned – he owned some nightclubs, and then he sold those, and then he did some other things, and he sold those, made a lot of money. But uh, I honestly don't know that I, if I could tell you what a lot of Notre Dame players do when they leave. I just – it's hard for me to – I just I just have never really paid a ton of attention to that kind of thing, right? I don't know if you know of any interesting stories, but – I wish I had some cooler stories for you, but I just – I don't really know what most Notre Dame players do, to be honest. Yeah. I just don't – I don't really pay attention to it. So, yeah, because Because most, most jobs obviously aren't going to be like big media driven that you're going to talk about right. a ton, right? I mean, obviously, like Tommy Reese going from starting quarterback at Notre Dame to uh, offensive coordinator at Notre Dame is kind of cool, I guess, right? I mean yeah. – that, that's the stuff that you hear about, though, obvious for obvious right. reasons. I'm curious to see how Brandon Wimbush's company does if it's able to take off, you know, with what he's doing with NIL stuff. That'll be interesting. I'm very curious to see that, but yeah, yeah, now that, that, that's going to be interesting in general. I know there's there's another company that I think Mackenzie Milton and De'Ara King are doing that's like a NIL based thing as well. So it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Brandon Plesner, Plesner says, if Justice Haynes commits elsewhere, would you like to see the staff take a second running back still? Would really like Jaden Lamar in the class. 
I'm going to let you comment on this because I think you like Jaden Lamar a lot more than I do. I do like Jaden Lamar, man. I I think he brings, I think he would bring a different element to the, to the running back room, obviously comparative to Cedric Urban Jr. I think he's a really smooth pass catcher. I think he has that ability. I think there's some comparisons and he's not the same player at all, but like a little bit of Kyron Williams to this game, I think a little bit. Um, so I would be completely fine with Notre Dame taking Jade Lamar as a second running back. Ultimately, I don't know if that is a reality that we will see because I think that Notre Dame is going to is making a push, obviously, for Haynes. And I think that they would kick the tires with, you know, maybe a little more of a well, um, well, accoladed running back, I guess, if, if we want to phrase it like that. Obviously, a high upside type of running back, or else I think they would be okay if it was just Cedric Irvin Jr. in the class. Mm-hmm. I just I'm not high enough on I think Jay Lamar is a good football player. And if he was the only back in the class, I'd I'd be okay with that. I just I don't think he's as dive I, I don't see his skill set translating to 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 what Kyron Williams did as much as some people think it will. I just don't I see a different type of athleticism than Kyron. Kyron was a legitimately wide receiver up until his junior year. I mean he had I think over 2000 receiving yards in, in high school. And it wasn't because of what he did out of the backfield. He was legitimately a wide receiver for a, a chunk of his high school career. I think halfway through his junior years, when he kind of started transitioning to more of a full-time rank, I believe is how that went down, but I'm just not as high on Jay Lamar. I think that unless you lose a guy from your roster, one of the sophomores is going to transfer. Chris Tyree has a breakout year and he goes pro, you know, barring that I just, I think six backs on a roster is one too many, in my opinion. And you're going to have Chris Tyree, Logan Diz, Audric Estimate, Jadarian Price, and Cedric Irvin. That's five. I just Six backs is just too many for me, in my opinion. But if they lose a guy, four is not enough, in my view. So that's where maybe you could see a second guy. But I personally, Ryan, I'm just – I'm not – I'm not – I'm just not as – I'm just not. He's a good player. I just – if I'm going to add a second back, he needs to be a really good player. It's kind of dynamic. So I yeah, want to make sure, I like, I think Jay Lamar is a top 200 to 250 kind of guy. Sure. You, you know, it just, like, right now I'd have him ranked ahead of Cedric Irvin because we've seen him do more than Cedric, right? Sure. Um, yeah. But I've kind of thrown my asterisk by Cedric Irvin. I'm going to kind of really hold a, a more sold opinion on Cedric until we see him at Columbus because I want to see him actually in an offense that features him. Which yeah, Belliver Prep didn't do enough of, in my view. But I'm, but even then, I'm, I'm still just not like I'm not adding two just good backs in the class. Like I, you could say, well, they did that two years ago. Let's just assume that you just think that Diggs and Estimer just both just good backs. Okay, mm-hmm. that's even more reason. Don't do it again two years later. Number one, but number mm-hmm. two, I don't view them. I think I, I'd have Diggs and Estimate both ranked higher than Lamar and Cedric Irvin as juniors. Okay. Especially Diggs. I loved Diggs in high school. Estimate really broke out as a senior. He's 230 pounds. You know what He's I mean? He's a Jersey guy, man. Boy. Yeah, Jersey tough, baby. There we go. So <laughs> I just think both of those guys are better. I, so I just, I personally would not add two unless I lost somebody. Unless it was a Justice Haynes type of back. And the other thing is, this is not a great running back class. I'd rather see that extra scholarship be used for another receiver uh, a hybrid guy that can do different things. Uh, I'd honestly, I'd rather see a second tight end than a second back in this class, a fifth offensive lineman, another D lineman, another, li- 
I mean, with the talented linebackers on the board, Ryan, you're you're gonna you're working on the story now. That kind of talking about like if you look at the guys left on the board at linebacker, Jaden Osbury, Samuel Pemba, Darren Gallette, who you and I are gonna talk more about here soon because that dude is a yeah. freaky athlete. And yes, and is. who am I missing? Tamir Robinson. Tamir. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if two of those dudes want to come, am I saying no to any of them? Nope. I might say yes to all four of them because, you know, and Pemba can do so many different – it's just yeah. who do you turn down? You're not going to get all those guys to say yes, but you get my point. I'd rather have an extra one of those guys than Jay Lamar. That's just that's just kind of where I'm coming from. So, not that he's a bad player. He's a good player. I just don't see a guy that, boy, you got to have that guy in the class. A couple things here. Freddie C at 03. When Kelly first offered Rodney Gallagher, he was interested in playing both football and basketball, but sounded like Kelly didn't like that. Would Freeman mm-hmm. be open to him playing basketball if he decides to do both? I'll just quickly, Rodney Gallagher is not pursuing basketball. He's not playing basketball. Next level. Yeah. For yeah. the next level. He's still playing high school basketball, but yeah. what we're saying is he's not going to play college basketball. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to matter. But I would imagine he would, if that's what it took to get him here, with how much I'm told that the Notre Dame staff likes Rodney Gallagher, I think they'd have told him, yeah, you want to play basketball? Go for it. (laughs) You know? And so, yeah, Rob Osgood. Hey guys, in in my opinion, this spring is a, is a must to change the culture of Kelly being so, so to being like Holtz being the best. I feel Freeman can do this. What will it take to make it happen? I think you kind of answered your own question, Rob. It's a culture change, right? I think that he's already, he's made, he's put together a strong staff. I think there's talent. I think they've done a ton of upgrades at Notre Dame. I think it's a culture change. And, and we talked to, we talked a lot about this yesterday. I would encourage you to listen to yesterday's show. It's about a no excuses, competitive, super confidence that they need to establish that when they step on the field, I don't care, Bama. Oh, that's Bama. So what? We're freaking Notre Dame. Georgia, defending champs. I don't care. We're Notre Dame. And I don't think Notre Dame's always had that. And matter of fact, I know they haven't had that in a lot of these big games. And I think it started at the top. And just go look at the way that they game planned against Alabama last year. They game planned not to get blown out. They did not game plan to win. And uh, I think that says a lot about how the program was like. Yin's Irish, how much of the problem with quarterback planner BK was due to a lack of development versus an inability to properly identify talent? The mainstays of quarterback were never the elite recruits under Brian Kelly. You want to take a shot at that one? Yeah, no, I think I think definitely more of a lack of development than anything. I mean, because you... – they, I mean, they still signed guys like Phil Drukovic and Tyler Buckner and Brandon Wimbush and Malik Zaire. There was, there's been talent in the quarterback room. I think it's a big misnomer to say that there hasn't. So definitely, I think development is more of the issue than the recruiting side of the, the of the formula. Because I mean, I, I think that there's a good chance. And here's, I guess, an early draft take for next year. I think there's a chance that Phil Dracovic goes in the first round next year if he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think lack of talent is an issue at Notre Dame at the quarterback position. Agree. I, I mean, if you can't get more out of a group that – I mean, think about this. Gunnar Keel, who I didn't love. Everett Golson – or Everett, yeah, Everett Golson, Malik Zaire, Sean Kaiser, Brandon Wimbush, Brent, Brent, uh, Phil Dracovic. Tyler Buckner in a 10-year period, less than 10-year period. If you can't get good quarterback play out of that, the problem's not them. The problem's you as a coach. I mean, you can't get one of those guys to hit, and they all regressed as they got here's – the, here's the key the telltale sign for me. A lot of those guys were really pretty decent early and got worse. That's the sign of bad coaching to me. Even Ian Book got progressively worse the longer he stayed in Notre Dame. Yeah, that, that's a problem. 
And that's a coaching problem. That's not a player problem. And, and so, yeah, it's a development problem. Now, are there times where they misevaluate on it? Sure. Everybody does. I mean, look at some of the bums that uh, bums. That was so disrespectful. I'm sorry. Look at some <laughs> of the guys at Alabama signed a quarterback and they just were not good players. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I feel I shouldn't. That's just, I feel bad that, that came out. Cause I, if you're getting a scholarship at Alabama, you're not a bum. Right. Right. They just weren't good football players. They weren't Alabama caliber football players and Bama signed them. And some of them they thought were going to be really good players and they weren't. Uh, everybody misses. I think the fact when you miss that consistently, it's not an evaluation problem. It's a coaching problem. And uh, hopefully that gets fixed, you know, because what we're going to find out is if Tommy Reese was more of the problem or if Brian Kelly was the problem. I, I feel it was a Brian Kelly problem is just my, and there was a stretch with Mike Sanford where I think recruiting became a problem. I mean, he identified Avery Davis as a quarterback in Notre Dame. That should never have been the case. Avery Davis was always going to be a, an athlete that was going to move somewhere else. Got a super chat from Byron Davis. Any, thank you for that, Byron. Any off-field activities teams do in the spring to build cohesion and culture, field trips to fund places, charitable visits to the community, et cetera? Favorite you have had when you were coaching. So, Byron, the they do a ton of stuff in the community. That's one thing they definitely do a lot of. They have done other things, in the, not, not during the spring per se, but in the summer and fall camp. They'll go do things. That's part of why they went to Culver was because when they weren't practicing, they would get jet skis and they'd have all types of fun activities. So uh, they'll do a lot of stuff like that. I always liked, I didn't like doing that stuff as a coach. I, like let the players go do that. I wanted to be in the lab, like breaking down film and stuff. But when one of the places I was at, we would actually go to, we would kind of work with the park services or whatever. I don't even remember where it was. And we'd go to like local, like uh, playgrounds and stuff like that. And we'd put mulch down and we'd clean up trash and, you know, just like, just really try to make the community nicer. I'm always a big fan of that. I mean, we saw that from what we did. If if, if you can impact the community you're living in, that, if everybody just said, hey, I'm going to take a step to help my community, you know, it just, we'd have a much nicer community. Like if every person that chose to throw crap out of their car at a, you know, getting off the highway, just decided not to do that, we'd have, you know, yeah, have a cleaner community, right? It's just about everybody trying to impact their community positively. So whenever we did stuff like that, that was always tough for me because I felt like with football players, especially at a place like Notre Dame, you can get a sense of, you know, everything, you know, especially like the big time guys, Ryan, it's like you've been told how great you are and life's been kind of not for every kid, but, you know, life's kind of easy. You know, you're getting free meals here. You're getting free trips there. You're getting this. You get, you get free clothes and all this kind of stuff, especially nowadays. 30 years ago, there wasn't as much for these kids. Sometimes it can be kind of good to take them out in the community and say, hey, look, there are people that are are really struggling to are they going to be able to put a meal on their table for their kids tomorrow? And like you want to go complain about what what's going on with you at the University of Notre Dame. Like, I think sometimes it's good to get them in that thing, because, number one, they can really make an impact. That's probably number one. But then also there's some there's some building there of like, hey, man you know, you're all in your feelings all the time about your lack of playing time. Imagine if you were in a situation where you were living day to day about whether or not you could put food on the table. Now there are some Notre Dame players that have been in that, but you're not in that situation in Notre Dame anymore. And I think that can be a, a benefit to like, Hey man, just give you, pers- it's about perspective. You know, it doesn't mean playing time is not important. It's just, maybe you should real like, it's not that, you know, it's not that big of a deal in my opinion. So. 
I don't know, Ryan, because you were a high school coach. Did you guys ever do anything like fun like that, like with the team building thing? It's a little different in high school. Like not really. I mean, we I, th- I think we went like on you know bowling nights out and stuff like that. So it was nothing substantial. There there was like there was like you know there was like service that people did for the community, like you're kind of saying and volunteered and done all that type of stuff. But that was more like an individual activity than like a team activity. So I mean, just more like bowling trips. I think we went to the movie one time. Um, I think. Then we went to see Invincible when it first came out because we're right okay. outside of Philly, yeah. right? So that was like a night out type of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> I always like doing I always like doing bowling because I was mm-hmm. a good bowler, so I could impress kids, you know. So <laughs> like, oh show coach, it off, show, coach show it off to kids. Yeah, there you go. Like show that you're good at something, right? Not just like just this former coach, you know. So right. Earn, earn a little <laughs> bit of respect. Another super chat from John Climick. I want to see a bigger jump in mop up duty. I always felt Kelly took his foot off the gas. I want to see wide receivers catching the ball in stride as well. I'm with you, John. I I would love to see younger guys. And when they get in the game, let them play. Right. I mean, like how many passes did Drew Pine throw in 2020? Like talk about just – you played a schedule where you had, what, three opponents with a winning record? Four. And two mm-hmm. of those opponents with a, record, with a winning record went six and five, right, mm-hmm. Pitt and B.C., and and your backup quarterbacks threw like six passes. Tosh Baker played like seven reps in a year where you knew everyone was going to get eligibility back. Like that was absurd. Yeah, your backup quarterbacks threw a combined six passes in 2020. Drew Pine threw three. Brendan Clark threw three. Like, come on, man. Like, give me a break. And like Ohio State had an even weirder year. I'm going to be honest. Two Ohio State two years ago, uh, because of the COVID, they – they never had a, their number. CJ Stroud never threw a pass because it was a weird year because they had to use every rep possible to get caught up. So, like, end of games were almost like, hey, we need to get our starters these reps kind of thing, you know? So they'd maybe play a little deeper in the games than, than they otherwise than the others would. For example, this year, Alabama's backup quarterbacks threw 24 passes this year. Like, you know. They can do that against an SEC schedule, but Notre Dame can't get more than six against an all-ACC schedule. And, oh, they also played South Florida. Whew. You know, that was a tough one, <laughs> right? So ridiculous. Another super chat from – and thank you for that, John. Another super chat from Casey Martinez. Thank you, Casey. Now that the head coach Diva is gone, do you think the culture is more serious intent than show? Sorry, not sorry about the Diva comment. I had worse. Hey, I hear – I think you know this is the right audience to to, to throw shade at the uh, <laughs> former head coach because we were the only place throwing shade at him when he was still here. So uh, you're, you're you're fine there, man. No 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 worries on that one. But uh, serious intent, I think it can be. I think there. I think it can be, Ryan. I don't know if I would. If I I don't know if we know enough about what Coach Freeman is going to do that we can say for sure it's going to be that way. I, I, yeah, I'm optimistic. Yeah. Oh, no. Very optimistic. I got to see it happen, though, obviously. Right. Like it's a results based business. Mm -hmm. So let's see it happen. Yeah. Talent's there. For sure. Yep. Uh, Nick, I'm excited to see Colsey and Styles in the field with another year of development, especially with an actual receivers coach. You are not alone on that one, Nick. Super chat from Freddie C.O. It is, uh, let's see here, when Rodney Gallagher was first offered, it sounded like Kelly didn't want him to play football and basketball. Would Freeman be open to both? We did address this earlier, but you gave a super chat this time, so I wanted to, to bring it up. And then the second part of it was, 
Uh, I know he is just focusing on football, but sounds like Penn State and West Virginia are higher on the list because they let him play both if he decides. I think that was the case early, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case now, which is why I think he's yeah. – it sounded to me from talking to you, and I could be reading into this, that mm-hmm. he's almost rebooting his recruitment a little bit since his decision to just focus on – I, I I think so because he he kind of took a step back during basketball season just in general and I I think that also Notre Dame has gotten a lot more serious obviously about their you know intent towards them since the new year right like the new staff is very high on Roddy Gallagher so he has become a clear priority for the school as well so mm-hmm. I think there's you know a combination of everything I think and and I, I would agree that I think that it was probably much more of a driver early on but as Brian stated earlier in the show. Uh, he does not have the intentions to play basketball on the college level anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Keith Wiegand says, Ryan, where's Kyle Hamilton going in the draft? Once you start, you're going to get more of this as we get closer and closer to the draft, which yeah. I know you're excited about. And just yeah. so people know, we actually have uh, – Ryan and I are going to hammer out the specifics of when those shows are going to be, but we are going to have a draft. Ryan's going to do a lot of stuff for the draft. He's going to interview – try to interview prospects, and he's going to – you know, bring other people on. He's going to have some stuff breaking stuff that guys down. He and I will do some. Some of it's going to be him doing other things. But we're going to definitely take advantage of Ryan's draft expertise uh, as we get closer and closer to the combines coming up here in you know a little over a week, and pro day is going to happen at the end of March, and then the the drafts. It's in it's in late April again this year, right? Yeah, I think April so, April twenty April twenty ninth yeah. something like so that. Yeah, we'll definitely ramp things up again as we get closer to the draft. Ramp ramp things up as we get closer to the draft, and we'll have Ryan do all that. So I just wanted to kind of yeah. Let people mm-hmm. know that to start expecting that. But anyway, to, to the question, Ryan. I would be shocked if Kyle Hamilton falls out of the top 10, despite him being a safety and people thinking that there's, you know, an obviously an undervalued layer to the safety position, which there is to a degree. Safeties don't usually go too high. Um, but I think that top 10 with this type of player, for my money, he's the best player in the draft. He's the only player that I would even closely resemble to a generational type prospect. So I think mm-hmm. he goes top 10. I think it starts – I mean, the conversation obviously should start very early. I would say number three, I think, is the Houston Texans. The Jets have two picks in the top ten. I know some of them have, you know, some ill feelings toward drafting a safety top ten again after the Jamal Adams debacle, but he's a very different player, obviously, than Jamal Adams. So Giants, um, maybe another team to, to pair with Xavier McKinney. There's going to be plenty of suitors that could use Kyle Hamilton. I think it's top ten somewhere. What do you – what do you think the uh, – I thought I had muted myself on that one. What do you think the floor is for Kyle Hamilton in the draft? Like, do you do you see a spot where, like, there's no way he's going past this spot? It, it might it might be a little aggressive, but I think number – I think the Jets had the 10th pick. I think that's their second pick in the top 10. That's my, that's my spot, I think. Like, I, I would be really shocked if he falls out of the top 10, to be honest. So, I think the floor is 10th overall, potentially. If the ceiling, if the if the floor is not Denver at nine, I'm going to cry. And I know that Denver has other safeties, but like I would just love to see Justin Simmons and Kyle Hamilton in the same backfield. That would be a great pairing, man. That's a lot of length and a lot of range. (laughs) (laughs) Call me, you know, great. You know, it's my, you know, it's my team. But no, yeah, I'd be, I'd be really shocked if he fell out the top ten. And you know, you talked about the, you talked about the Jamal Adams debacle. The guy still Mm -hmm. made three All Pro teams. Like people act like he was a bum. He was a good player. He was a good player. 
he wasn't the over four, what four number four overall pick good player right what was he four five what was he six i think yeah he, he's he was the highest drafted safety in like a long time and right. it wasn't even i mean obviously he wanted out there right so he basically forced his way out through the trade and that's kind of i think where the ill feelings mm-hmm. but like right. i mean honestly looking back on it great decision by the jets because he's a pure box safety right. and you don't you don't pay that guy you just don't pay right him. right so yeah, it's uh, I would I would love to see him go top five just because of what I think it would mean for Notre Dame. I think it mean it'd be huge for Notre Dame. All right, Brent Byers, what impact do you think an opening win versus Ohio State in their house has on the program from a recruiting standpoint, national narratives, momentum inside the program, in the locker room, etc.? Let me go first here, Ryan. I think the yeah. latter part is more important uh, because the latter leads to the f- impact in the former. And what I mean by that is if you go out and beat Ohio state, but then lose to North Carolina on the road three weeks later, that, that momentum's gone. Yeah. I mean, you've got to keep winning, right? Like if it, Notre Dame had that huge monumental win over Stanford in 2012. And as I've tried to remind people, you have to remember nobody on that Notre Dame team in 2012 had played in a game where they had ever beaten Stanford, right? That was the giant that they had to slay back then. Uh, and I think that led to them beating Oklahoma. I think that team, once they beat Sanford, like they're, nobody can beat us now. They had a confidence about them. And, and I think that this team would, would have a similar boost, in my opinion, which would then lead to continued wins. Because the continued wins are what's going to lead to a bigger impact on the program. Like, if you're going to talk about the 2022 team, yeah, there's some benefits to it. Recruiting trail to a degree benefits to it. But if you beat Ohio State in the opener and go 9-3, and three, it's not going to move the needle on your program because you're going to have some losses that negate that win, right? you got to keep winning. That's the big thing. And, you know, you still got to go 11-1 and one or 12-0. and 0. You still got to make the playoff and do damage. It's, you know, by the time you get to the end of the season, if you get into the playoff again and lose by 20 again, nobody's going to give a rip that you beat Ohio State. you know just not really i think recruiting would be the only place where it would matter i think that's the only place where no matter what happens next it may have a longer term impact but overall for the program i just don't see Mm -hmm. it having much of an impact unless it's followed by it it creates a momentum to you you know the confidence and the momentum i think that would be the bigger impact but recruiting maybe like okay cardinal tate maybe maybe it has an influence on him but we've seen notre dame beat teams and lose kids to those teams all the time like i mean it just it just is the case. So I, I I think recruiting impact was definitely the one where I was like, yeah, that's probably the biggest impact overall. Like, cause like you're saying, there's obviously more to just one performance, right. That can make like a culture or the momentum, all that type of stuff. But from a recruiting impact, I mean, obviously with geographically where Ohio state is in, you know, in, in this, in the same region, beating an Ohio state would be huge, especially mm-hmm. beating them at home. And the, the visitor list is going to be crazy for that game to say the least. So there's, you know, obviously always going to be Notre Dame targets that are also very interested in Ohio State, and it would have a huge impact, I think. And there's a lot of players right now that are on the board for Notre Dame that are looking forward to seeing what the result is on the field. What's the what's the product? Mm-hmm. What is it going to look like? And starting out a win like that against a perennial power like Ohio State and one of the blue, you know, one of the great programs in college football would be would be monumental from a recruiting yeah. standpoint. Yeah, no doubt. The uh, the Kinger three two one Brian are there any stores that sell individual built bars I don't know I've never seen one I don't know if they do or don't I I don't think that they do I think that's what they have they have an thing called ambassador program that's what we're part of where we get a you know certain cost you know we get we get a little bit of a kickback for stuff that we sell with our promo code I think that's kind of the route they've chosen to go they've they've 
they've wisely kind of made an, an exclusive thing. Like it, it, and I think that's good for branding, right? I think that's, you know, make it like some of the things that they only have certain, they can make whatever they want, you know what I mean? But they just choose to, you know, because it just, it sells better, right? Like I do that when, when cookies and cream comes back up, I'm going to have three, four boxes because they, they go off and they, they don't have them for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, they may sell them in stores. I'm not saying they don't. I have just never seen them in a store. All right. I don't know if you have. I, I haven't either. I've only, I've only bought them um, and delivered to the house, but I will say they were delicious. So mm-hmm. if you haven't tried them, you definitely should. <laughs> Promo code Irish Breakdown. It's in the description bar below. It's a great question, the Kinger. If you use the promo code Irish Breakdown, one word, uh, you get ten percent off your whole purchase. I'm telling you, I got I got my peanut butter, or excuse me, my banana cream pie. Right, got that one. It's a puff. It's got a little bit of marshmallow. Got the strawberry the other day. Tried that one for the first time. That's really good. My favorites are still cookies, cookie dough, and cherry barcia are still my two favorites. And it actually has like that has chunks of strawberry in it. Like, and as you see, I mean, I mean, you see the nu- nutritional ba- value in there. It's 140 calories, 17 uh, grams of protein, and only five grams of sugar in the strawberry one. You actually get chunks of cherry in there. So it's yeah. really it's good. it's it's a hundred percent real chocolate, and it and every fruit flavor that you get has real chunks of fruit in it, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. And I've I've keep to I've have not bought a candy bar. I have. Matter of fact, I have a box of the world's famous chocolate, like the you know that you'd sell when you were banned or whatever when you were a kid. I have I love that's like my favorite candy bar. I'm so weird, and I have some of those that I bought before I ever had a Bill Bar. I still sitting there. I haven't even eaten them because it's just like, why would I have that when I can have a Bill Bar? It's kind of weird, but we'll see how long. And I haven't got sick of them yet. That's what I thought I'd do. I'd get sick of them, but I haven't got sick of them yet. Paul Benoit, great quick question with respect to Chris Vizina. Is it a positive or negative? That he's visiting alone. Is he better? Is it better when a group is visiting together? I'm just gonna say this real quick. Uh, Ryan, we'll move on to the next one. Paul, it just depends on the kid. That's the big thing. It depends on the kid and what you're trying to accomplish from the visit. If you really need to connect with a kid and bond with him, and it may be better that it's just him. If it's kind mm-hmm. of in closing mode, it may be good to get him on campus around a lot of other some kids want to be alone. Some kids want to be on campus alone because they want to be able to just you know control, you know, manipulate, not manipulate. Um evaluate yeah they evaluate you they want to have all your time because they have a lot of questions i mean that's part of it some kids want to be on campus with other players every kid is different and every situation is different so it just depends there's really no one true answer to that there's one good answer for some kids but even then sometimes it's good to bring a kid by himself and then later bring him back with more people it just it just varies to be honest with you agree Jeff Natkis, is it true that Notre Dame's recruiting budget is the same as a mid-level Big Ten school? Hear that a couple times and just wonder why it's not true. There are so many false things to go around about Notre Dame. And, like, I can't believe Brian Kelly only makes a million dollars. If you think Brian Kelly only made a million dollars, <laughs> like, I got some real estate, you know, I got this island off of the east coast of Virginia that I'd like to sell you. No, you can't visit it. Just trust me. It's there. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame is a private school, mm-hmm. right? Most big powers in football are public schools, which means they have to disclose everything that they submit because anyone can go, you know, it, it, hey, I want a, a you know, freedom of information request and you have to provide it. You can't hide that kind of thing. They're public schools. 
Notre Dame doesn't have to tell you a dang thing about what they spent on anything. And so there's just a lot of things kind of floating around that just, in my opinion, are inaccurate. You're going to tell me that Notre Dame has a similar recruiting budget to Iowa. That might have been true 10 years ago. It's not even close to being true now at all. Uh, So it's just, yeah, it's just not true. All right. God, country, Notre Dame, and barbecue. Can you guys talk about one or two Notre Dame players who you misevaluated the most? Like who came out of the shadows the most in your opinion? I'm going to give one that I was way wrong about in both directions. That's okay. going to give you time to think about yours. Yes. I, I had a, just a friend of mine just said, put a hat on, you look naked. <laughs> I just got that text message. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That just was really funny from a buddy. Uh, the guy that I thought was going to be really good that was just awful is Josh Barajas. When they flipped him from Penn State, man, I was like, oh, this kid's going to be so good. I loved his high school film. <laughs> I thought he was going to be a dude. And then the opposite is I had Kyron Williams as one of the lowest-ranked players in the 2019 class. I didn't think his body would transition to college. I just didn't think he'd be big enough to be a, an every down back in college. I thought he'd be like a situational guy, you know, can catch the ball. He brought some value, but he just be this nice, solid player. I was very wrong on Kyron, and a in a and I'm happy about that one. I'm not happy that I was wrong about about Josh Bruss because I'm never happy when I'm wrong about a kid I like. I am always happy when a kid I didn't think could play ends up being good because that's good for Notre Dame, and yeah. what's good for Notre Dame is good for irish breakdown so those are my two that are the most glaring that i can think of where i just like wow i was way off on those those two guys yeah my my i actually thought of two guys that i thought were going to be really great or just very good and didn't end up materializing one is ishak williams we've talked mm-hmm. about that one a few times yeah. max railfield's the other one i know max had obviously had some good moments but Obviously, he was not quite the player that I thought he was going to be. And I, you know, mm-hmm. again, I know he missed his final year, so maybe that would have turned around a little bit. But he was definitely a disappointment for me. Uh, a guy, I mean, honestly, I remember when Notre Dame signed Cam Hart, and I was just like, just like a three-star raw, like wide receiver. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I wasn't that enthralled in it to be honest with you. And then he's ended up developing to one of the better corners mm-hmm. that we've had in mm-hmm. a few years. So yeah, that would probably be now, one that I didn't evaluate correctly. That's the part I, I didn't see him as a corner in college. I liked him a lot as a receiver. I didn't see him as a corner. So I, I'm with you on, I'm with you. but yeah, Eshack I thought was going to be really, yeah. really good. Like really good. I mean, he was six, six, two twenty five, athletic, Long. twitchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he had it here. I don't think he loved football. I, I just, I just if he had Stefan Tuitz, if he had Aaron Lynch's like motor on the field, mm-hmm. I think he could have been really good. Cause I just don't Fair. I just think I don't think football was important to him. And if you hear about kind of some of the things that like if I met his dad a few times and his dad was like super into academics and all that, and then Ishak gets to Notre Dame, he's like having people do papers for him. Like that's just laziness, right? Like yeah. I know he was smarter than that. Mm-hmm. It's just laziness. And I think that was Ishak's big problem. He just was lazy. He just didn't love football. Uh, right. I, I had heard, however, that he had kind of – the light had gone on before the 2014 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, ex, he, the people were like thinking he was going to have a really breakout. It was going to be a senior year. Stefan mm-hmm. was gone, and then he got suspended. And, yeah. like, I would have really liked to have seen what he could have done if he would have been suspended. Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been – 
been really interesting. Jason Burkhardt, I read an article recently about a total overall drop in attendance to college football games. Thoughts on why? I have two reasons. Uh, one, uh, three reasons, and one, one, two of them go together. One, cost. Because what you have to understand is cost of going to a game isn't just about the ticket price. The ticket mm-hmm. price is a lot more, but flying is way more expensive. Uh, hotels, these these towns just jack hotel prices way up, you know, and and uh, it's just not cheap to go to a game anymore. And it's Parking. very hard. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard to if you're a father of four, it's become a rich man's game in a lot of in a lot of instances with these places to really consistently go to games. I think the the fact that games are so, I mean, every game's available now on TV. If you've got an HD TV and you've, I mean, you've got, you know, you can, I mean, it's really clear. You can sit at home and I look, we can't, we can't dismiss the impact that COVID had. Right. And what I mean by that is take the attendance from 2020 away. Cause of course, but there's still a lot of people I know that not a lot, there's still people that we know that like are still afraid to go out. Right. And be in public. And there's still people that like, you know, I, I mean, I saw one recently, like had two masks on and a face shield. I'm like, you know, and there's and and people are like I don't want to be around other people that aren't masked or don't know. There's just a there's a lot of fear. It's about fear that people have. Understandable, some under you know, not understandable in other instances, but I think that factors into it as well. Uh, I and I also think that as we were kind of locked down in our homes, a lot of people just got real comfortable just at home. I know people that don't grocery shop anymore. I mean, it's just. You, I'll just do shipped. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll have just d- DoorDash or whatever else to deliver food. Just don't go out anymore. And people have just gotten comfortable just living in their bubbles. I think that's one of the the things I'm concerned about when it when just culturally. But I'm speaking more from a sports standpoint. I think it's helped our business, right? Because when they're home, they're in a room like this. They're in a chat. They're on the message board. But I think in regards to fans being out and being at games and just that part of it. I think that's, that's her. I was really disappointed with the attendance of the festival this year, really disappointed. Uh, especially when it was, you know, the, the first game of the Marcus Freeman era, like that's the reason I, I spent, well, I don't know you tell how much I spent. It was a lot of money to fly my dad and myself and my nephew down there. But it was like, I was like, man, I'm like waiting on people to show up. And I was like, Nope. Like I just, and I mean, I get it. Cause it costs, thousands of dollars unless you lived in southern california arizona it's going to cost you thousands of dollars forget the cost of the ticket that wasn't a problem it's 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 well tickets are only this if you just if you show up the day of the game you get a ticket for cheap that's not the problem i can afford to be able to actually show up there you know what i mean like and i think those are part of the problems too is it's just it's cost of travel to get to a game is problematic too so i think those things have all kind of combined to where attendance is down this year what i'm more curious about is is does it creep up over the next couple years because people kind of get over the covid fears once we once more people start realize hey we gotta live with this like like we do other things that could you know be be dangerous to you gotta learn to live with it more people that currently don't like going out will start going out again does that cause it to tick back up or is it just kind of like you realize you know what I didn't go to games the last two years after going for 30 years. And you know what I realized? I, I'm good. I, I kind of like being at home. I, you know, I had a few extra thousand dollars in my bank account this year because I didn't get to fly out to games in 2020, you know, and 
does that cause more people to say, hey, I'm just going to, I don't care about being there anymore? Or is it going to be a thing where now that there's less of that fear and hopefully prices can kind of come back down to normal, um, that it causes the tennis to go back up? That's what I'm curious about, Ryan, to see if it peaks, if it goes, if it's kind of bottomed out and it's going to go back up. That's, that's, I'm very curious to see that in a lot of yeah. ways. That's uh, very interesting. It's very interesting. I think it obviously highlighted a lot of great points. I, I mean, I, I, I personally, like I went out for the Notre Dame um, Cincinnati game and you're right, man, it is expensive to do yeah. a football, especially when you don't live nearby. And I, I mean, especially with a, I mean, I know this is like directly around college football, so it's not just Notre Dame, but like I live 10 hours away from Notre Dame, right? So like there's a, Notre Dame is a national brand where it's not just South Bend, Indiana. There's the only people that care about Notre Dame. Like it's a national thing. Right. People are coming from all over the place and it's expensive to go to games. It really is. Right. And I mean, you guys, you guys took an RV out, right? I mean, so that yeah. saved time or saved money, but you lost time. Yeah. You know, hey man, I mean? uh, fill, filling up gas on an RV is expensive though too. I mean, that's not easy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. But for there was what four of you, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking of like what it would cost for four of you to fly to Notre Dame, uh, yep. fly to Chicago, get a car, drive to South Bend, or take the train, get a hotel in the right. area. Right. You know, like you add all that stuff up together. I'm pretty sure it's Crazy. not going to equal the gas money for the RV. You know That's what I mean? A fair point. It's but a, fair a point. lot of people can't afford to take 20 hours of over the course of a weekend to drive and drive back. You know, True. fortunately yeah. for you, your boss now is a lot more accommodating for things like that than the boss you would have had in the past. That's true. Your boss yeah. now would be more understanding of you wanting to come out to a Notre Dame game. I'm just saying. I'm just it's fair. Saying. It's fair. Uh, but uh, and I've told you, you can always park your RV in my driveway anytime you want. So yes, sir. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I I I'm very curious what it's gonna because one thing is in bowl game uh, the the TV stuff for all bowl games is up right is that because more people are just watching games now and don't care as much about the other stuff or not I don't I don't have an answer for that so it's a very very good question Michael Campbell says I think having legends on the recruiting trail would be huge for top twenty five guys like Joe Montana. Uh, in Dante Moore's house, I don't think they can go to the house or or Tim Brown and Cardinal Tate's home with parents and family. I don't think they can do that. I don't think a a, a a representative of the school can't just go to a kid's home. They can do things where they meet them and talk to them, but I don't think they can go in the home. But to your point, Michael, I, I do agree. There's a ton of value to having those those greats around, those legends around when kids are on campus. I mean, if I could, if Marcus Freak, because like Joe Montana didn't like Brian Kelly. You know, can can Marcus Freeman kind of, you know, uh, you know, repair that bridge that was burned? I, I don't know, but if he can, it'd be great to have Joe Montana around. I'm, I have my feelings on Joe Montana's uh, and my couple interactions with him, but you know, that doesn't have anything to do with recruiting. I think it'd be a lot of value to recruits to have Joe Montana around, or you know, have Joe Theismann around, and have you know, Tim Brown, Rocket Ismail, Golden Tate, you know, Brady Quinn, all these great players back on campus. And, when Dante Moore, like imagine if it's like, you know, they, they had a thing on, and I, I have to find out the like legality, but let's just say it was legal, legal to do this, but Dante Moore comes on a visit and they take him out to dinner on his official and he's having dinner with, it's like him and his parents and Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman. And then also at that table is Brady Quinn, Joe Montana, like Joe Theismann, right? Like those guys. Oh, and then Tim Brown and, 
Jerome Bettis and all those guys are at the table and it's just like, man, you don't think that have an impact? Heck yeah, that'd have an impact. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it would be really cool to have Michael. I just, the one thing you can't do is have him in the home, but that's something that coach Freeman is working on is making those guys more of a part of what they're doing. John a one is Jacob Lacey working to get back to 295. John, I don't think he's looking to get back to 295. I do think he's looking to obviously uh, put more weight on. He had to get down uh, to, it wasn't like a number he had to get down to. He had to get down to just the shoulder caused him to lose weight is more of how it was. And they didn't want to, um, they didn't want to kind of push him back up too soon. Uh, just kind of let it happen naturally. But now that he's over a year removed from that surgery, I think that's when you're going to start to see, um, you know, sort of a jump, a jump in size, you know, I think, but I think two two eighty five is closer to what they'd like him to be. Last couple of questions before we get out of here. Patrick Hennessy says, what would your preference on channel and kickoff time for the Ohio State game, uh, big noon or on Fox or primetime on ABC. I'd rather be a big noon game, to be completely honest with you. I just feel like, you know, being on the road, I don't like night games on the road just because you're sitting in the hotel all day. It's not like you can go out anywhere. It's not like you're sitting in your own room. You're just all stuck in a hotel till, you know, like 4 o'clock when you start heading to the stadium. I like the idea of of on the road. Now, home games, I like night games at home, but for road games, I prefer to kind of get up and get right into your ritual. Get up, have breakfast, you know, go to your meeting at the hotel, get your stuff, get on the bus, head to the stadium, get dressed, get taped, get your treatment, get out there and go through stretch, get out through I mean, get out there and go through warm-ups, you know, get loose come back, get dressed, go through stretch and get, I mean, so the moment you get up, you're starting to get into your mindset into it's game time. I prefer that when I'm on the road. I I just feel like that helps the road team. An earlier game just really, I think helps the road team kind of get their minds right um, compared to a night game and against that type of team. That's just, that's just my, that's just kind of my personal preference to be, uh, to be, um, to be honest with you about what I, what I kind of prefer. So here we go. Uh, last question. I think we're going to, this is going to be the last one. Justin Carlson says, if Notre Dame plays in the college football playoff this year, what opponent would you want them to draw and who could realistically make it and, and gives Notre Dame the best chance at getting a college football playoff win? So first of all, Justin, I don't want Notre Dame's first college football playoff to win to just be over some team that they should be. Like, I don't want them to get in and play Cincinnati or – Michigan State and beat that team like you know Washington from 2016 I want them to get in and beat somebody big I think that to me would be more of a a greater example of hey they've arrived you know so when when I look at teams this year that I think have a chance to be in the playoff this is super early Justin I mean we haven't got the spring ball yet we don't there's a lot of things going on but just super super early thoughts you know, the SEC, I think that, that obviously Alabama and Georgia are going to have chances to be competitive for the college football playoff this year. You know, Texas A&M is a team that a lot of people talk about. I, I got to see them. I got to see that offense get a lot better. I think their defense should be pretty good. You know, they got to replace Mike Elko. That's going to be a loss. Uh, I, I just, I don't, they got a lot to prove to me. I'm not on the Texas A&M bandwagon like others. So I think, I think uh, Georgia and Alabama, the two players there, Big 12, maybe Oklahoma. I'm curious to see what kind of jump Texas makes this year. That's a team that I have my eye on, but 
I don't think either one of the Big 12 teams are, are necessarily great. We don't know what the Brent Venables coach team is going to look like. They might be better. They might actually play defense, you know, under Brent Venables. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that how that plays out. Pac-12, I don't see any playoff teams coming out of the Pac-12. Big 10, Ohio State's going to be a playoff contender this year. I definitely see them as a possible playoff contender. I think Clemson will be a playoff contender again, depending upon what happens with them against Notre Dame. Uh, so I think that's going to play a big role, the, the Notre Dame game, because I, I think uh, most of the games on their schedule are very winnable for Clemson. Uh, I just – I don't know how the new coaching is going to go. I just – I don't see a lot of great teams that college football again this year. I, I really don't. I think Bama's going to be really good, you know, because now they've got a lot of young receivers, but now they've got the whole offseason to get those guys ready as opposed to just, you know, one spot, you know, 15 practices for one spot, but then the other spots just kind of comes up in the middle of the game. You know, the offensive line's going to be interesting. I think they're going to be better coached on the offensive line this year, getting that guy from Kentucky. I, I, I've said all along I didn't think Doug Maroney was – going to do a great job there he was always going to have his mind on kind of the next job but uh, I don't love Bill Bryant as no team he's got a lot of talent and you know defensively they're going to have a lot some really good players coming back they lost some guys but they they had some guys make decisions come back that I was a little surprised by and there's some young players I really like you know Will Anderson and Dallas Turner is going to be a nasty edge combination next year uh, for Alabama so I'm I think Alabama is going to be really good again I think Georgia is going to be really good again uh, you know I after that, I just, you know, Big 12, I don't see anybody great unless Texas just kind of comes out of nowhere uh, or Oklahoma's way better than we think. Uh, you know, who's their quarterback going to be? That's a question. You know, Pac-12, no. Ohio State, I mean, look, I, I'm not a believer in Ohio State till I see their defense show me something. You can't win a title with defense that bad. I mean, Ohio State's bordering on being what Oklahoma was. I mean, that's kind of where the, the direction Ohio State is going. I mean, gave up 45 points to Utah this year. Gave up, I mean, think about this. The last two postseason games Ohio State has played in, they gave up, what, 54? What did they give up to Bama in the championship game two years ago? I think they gave up 54, right? Uh, they gave up 45 this year to, to Utah, and then they gave up 52 last year to Alabama. So, so you know, the Ohio State's supposed to be this phenomenal football team that everybody thinks has a chance to win a national championship and, and they focus on the offense. But the thing they forget is the last two postseason games, Ohio state's given up 48 and a half points per game in their last two playoff games or last two postseason games, one of them against Utah. So, I mean, they got a lot to prove to me, uh, but should they be a playoff team? Yeah, I think they will be a playoff team. I think they're going to stomp Michigan this year. And I, and I don't, I think the West is going to be more competitive this year. I think I think the 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 Big Ten West is going to be better. I think the Big Ten East is going to take a step back. Yeah, I think Penn State's going to be better, but not great. Michigan's not going to be as good. Michigan State's not going to be as good. I think the I think Wisconsin's going to be better. I think they made some really good coaching moves this offseason. Getting Bob Bostad back to the O line is going to be huge for them. Uh, love Jim Leonard, quarterback. They should be better quarterback this year. You'd think. Good talent around them. I think. I think Minnesota's going to be better. They made. They also made some good coaching moves, getting rid of some guys they should. They shouldn't have had in the first place. Tanner Morgan's back. Uh, Ibrahim is back. The running back is back. They have a lot of guys coming back. The old line they got to replace some dudes, but I think Minnesota's going to be better. Uh, you know, Iowa should be really good. They got a ton coming back this year, so I think the West is going to be better. Meaning, I don't see any of them as playoff teams, but could one of those teams upset Ohio State? That's going to be the question mark. So if Ohio State beats Notre Dame, I think they're going to be tough to keep out of the playoffs. Uh, playoffs. So I think those are the teams to look at. But look, I want Notre Dame to beat 
the, the, the teams. I want them to beat an Alabama, a Georgia, an Ohio State. I want them to beat an Oklahoma. I want them to beat a, a, a team like that. I don't want them to beat Michigan State upsets Ohio State like they did in 2015 and Notre Dame beats them. I just – I don't want to see that. I want to see them beat Clemson. I want to see them beat Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, somebody like that. Those are the wins that change your program. Just getting a playoff win over Cincinnati or Michigan State to me doesn't doesn't move the needle if you then go out and lose to that A team in the, the next round. If you, you go lose to Bama in the championship, they're like, oh, Notre Dame arrived because they beat Cincinnati. I don't think that's going to be the case. They need to beat one of those teams. If you want to be on the level of one of those teams, you got to beat them. And that's what I would like to see Notre Dame do. I'd like to see them beat those teams. That's truly going to tell me that they've kind of they've taken that final step. So that would that would be it for me. So that's going to do it for today's show. Another long mailbag. I love these. Our tenants just stayed high. You guys are you guys and gals are all awesome. Uh, so so really 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 appreciate all of you. Um, I appreciate it a lot. And uh, good show. Make sure you check out the Irish Breakdown message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell uh, before you get out of here. We would greatly appreciate that. That always helps us out. If we talked about Built Bar a couple times. There's a link in the description bar below that uh, talks about, you know, you can get you click on that link and you go go purchase whatever you want. Make sure that the Irish Breakdown code is in there. You get 10% off your whole purchase. Our merch store has some cool stuff. I just sent Sean a bunch of cool merch stuff yesterday, so we got that going on. And we'll be back tomorrow. Sean and I will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern uh, to talk about something uh, Notre Dame football related. I haven't We haven't quite decided on the topic yet, but uh, I think something I would, I would find fun to do is with some of those Saturday topics is for you all to, to, sh- to, to kind of send us stuff on Twitter, send me ideas on my email, uh, but especially on Twitter, just send some ideas on some things that you'd like for us to discuss some uh, bigger picture things or more, you know, finer point things that you'd like to hear us discuss in some of these shows. So uh, anyone, everybody have a great rest of your day. And thank you all so very much for being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.